Daniel Day-Lewis's Mohawk, Bruce Willis hunts himself in Roll Tide, Reese Witherspoon. This week on 30 Hello, everyone, and welcome to 302010, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine, taking you on a rip roar and journey 30, 20, and 10 years ago into the past. Looking back on our pop culture milestones, dope anniversaries of movies, TV, video games, music, news, and so very much more. We try and keep it lighthearted. Thank God we're a year past 9 11. Hi, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista. Who else is with me? I'm Diana Goodman, and I am a super fan of Tito Gallego, the pig Latin lover. <laughs> And I must tell you, children, that JR has laryngitis and a bad back, so JR will not be saying anything or doing anything. Or doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, everyone. It is such a great week for pop culture minutia. Some bona fide classics, some bizarre uh, obscurities, and some forgotten mega hits this episode, for real. Lots of like really profitable movies. Most people don't file into the blockbuster category, you know? Yeah, really interesting week in terms of uh, our, our pop culture past. And as it will be recording from September 23rd through the 29th uh, in 1992, 2002, and 2012. Get it? 30, 20, and 10 years ago. Sit with us, open up three portals, and let's enter the first one first. 1992. Oh, wait, wait. Patrons. Patreon.com slash time. Bonus episodes of plenty. Diana's Classics Corner ins- inspired an 80s in-depth series that JR have, and I have been doing along with uh, Steve Guntley and Jared. How do you say Jared's last name? I've never said it before. Pork? <laughs> and Jared. Um, and Jared. And uh, we thank you guys for listening. That five bucks will get you access to hundreds of uh, extra podcasts, full-length movie commentaries, streams, all that stuff. Everything we've ever done and more. And you will support this show and the Laser Time Network, Video Game Apocalypse, Laser Time, all that good stuff. We love you. So let's begin, as we always do, with 1992, 30 years ago, September 23rd to the 29th. Fucking odd news week. Jackson Brown reportedly beats Daryl Hannah, his girlfriend. One of those things where 1992, so no one really followed up on this. Mm -hmm. And there's not a whole lot of information other than a bare bones police report. But it's there. It happened. Jackson Brown wrote a album called I'm Alive, which is mainly about his relationship with Daryl Hannah. And Joni Mitchell wrote a song about the incident, which is titled Not to Blame. Ooh, uh, mm, Yeah, she maintains this to this day. She's just never back down. And it just became tabloid stuff because, like, I think she started dating or being friends with JFK Jr. a little bit after this. And mm-hmm. it was like, she he's consoling her after her terrible breakup. And it's like, terrible breakup is one way to put it. Yeah. How about fleeing abuse yeah driven away by monstrosity and especially from like notorious pussy rocker jackson brown i guess maybe that's why people weren't apt to believe it i've always said that that cosby stuff was reported from the beginning and it i'm sure publicists suppressed it but it was out there i just think there was a general unwillingness of the public to believe things against people they had pleasant associations with and that is another form of uh sexism let's say as we know now and gregory kinsley also this week 12 wins right to divorce his parents and live with his foster parents he takes the name sean russ wow 
Oh boy. Okay. So this was all over my school year. Yes. I mean, no one had like any deep legal knowledge of it. It mm -hmm. was just like, do you know, you can now divorce your parents. Yes. Oh my God. I'm going to divorce my parents because they made me do the laundry. No, 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 no. Okay. This kid had only lived with his biological mother for seven months. Oh. Oh. Yes. A grand total of seven months, and the judge ruled that by clear and convincing evidence, almost beyond a reasonable doubt, the child has been abandoned and neglected by his mother, and that it would be in his manifest best interest to terminate the mother's parental rights. Right. So this wasn't just a, you know, little thing. It was yeah. Just like, I was thinking, like, why didn't, why is this not the news story that launched a thousand sitcoms? And like, because it's much more unpleasant than that. Than super the unpleasant. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But. I do like to see this became two different made-for-TV movies, one of them starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yes, I was. it had and we get to, be... to talk about him later. We do. And this, oh, one of my favorite roles of his. And a, a little news story I saw that tied something I thought was fascinating together. Magic Johnson quits his position as on the National Commission of AIDS in disgust because the George H.W. Bush administration is like not paying attention at all he feels like they're just paying lip service and nothing is getting done and kind of takes a stand and i thought that was interesting because the last time i was in dc talking to very very embedded dc people right around when trump was coming in though one of the weirdest things i don't think people recognize the w bush administration had to stand on was its contribution towards aids which he it's just one of those things we don't remember. That administration went out of their way to take huge steps in terms of funding AIDS projects, and you got to wonder if it's as a result of his father's failings. It's one of the only positive legacies I think W has. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I remember him rolling out some of that, uh, you know, we're going to get entry retrovirals at cost and, so, and mm -hmm. uh, distribute them in Africa during uh, State of the Union and being like, what? Yeah. What? When did this become your cause? Sorry. Yeah, I'm all did about you just this. Say and, something good. And I'm gonna stop robocalls. Love you, people. Good night. Weird administration. I you were the guy who cared about well, Saddam and baseball, and that was about. Go get him. Go get him. Uh, but yeah, that's a little bit of the news that is happening 30 years ago. Let's get into the movies because man, this is pretty <laughs> fascinating. Because I think Die Jr. We normally associate like Hugh Grant debut is like four weddings and a funeral and i'm always fascinated it's when he existed in the american yes when he burst right. in the american consciousness but we're slowly seeing him become a star on the other side of the pond and i've never peter coyote emmanuel singer uh kristen scott thomas and hugh grant in bitter moon so this movie exists entirely here's why i believe in time travel mm -hmm. i think it was actually made in the future and then put back into 1992 <laughs> just to fuck with fans of Four Weddings and a Funeral, which wow. comes out in two years, because it stars two of the stars of Four Weddings and a Funeral, people who a lot of Americans hadn't seen before, Hugh Grant and Kristen Scott Thomas. And they're like, oh boy, they made another movie together? Let's watch that. My eyes! Because <laughs> it is a very twisted, erotic thriller directed by Roman Polanski. Hello. About a couple... Uh, Emmanuel Sanye and Peter Coyote, who are deeply sadistic to each other. I mean, some of it is actual BDSM and some of it is just you're torturing each other. Mm. Like you Straight are up revenge. Bad people. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then like that couple meets up with Hugh Grant and Kristen Scott Thomas and they get drawn into their seductive web. I mean, a forced abortion is one of the lesser yuck factors in this film, to yeah. give you an idea. Yeah. Yeah, the like, let's take the injured guy out of his hospital bed and leave him over here so he's 
suffers more and then becomes permanently paralyzed. And then he'll marry me. Oh God. Bitter <laughs> oh, Moon honey, is that, seriously that never works. Up. Oh, we've all been there. We've all been there. Yeah, Bitter Moon is uh, like uh, every single Roman Polanski movie, I end up just being so pissed off because God damn it, he's such a good filmmaker. And this obviously is going to split critics. A lot of them think that it's like an extremely fucked up, that, that it's bad, but it's so bad it's good. And mm-hmm. some just thought it was really good. So you can kind of see it either way where it's like so extreme in its fucked up that it's like a parody of itself Ooh. or it really is just an erotic journey. But uh, yeah, if you are going to watch a Polanski movie, steal it. And Bitter Moon, yeah, I'll throw that in there. Yeah. Steal it. And also interesting to me, Chaz Palminteri, mm. Rocco Sisto, David Provol, Don Rickles, Anthony LaPaglia, Robert Loggia, and Combo Breaker, and Pariold? Pariold. Pariold. The star of La Femme Nikita. La Femme Nikita and Innocent Blood. I realized talking about Hellraiser... Three, I was getting it a little mixed up with Innocent Blood because I recorded both of those movies on a free preview of Cinemax and they had nudity and I would go through them as a little pubescent boy. And I've seen this a bunch of times. It's a strange fucking movie, a sexy French vampire versus the Italian mob. Uh, This is as close as you will ever get to watching Cleaver. (laughs) Oh, you're right. Oh, because there are so many Sopranos actors in yes. this film playing mobsters, mm-hmm. and they just get taken out by sexy vampiress who wow. only kills the bad people, so she's a good vampiress. But yeah, I would say the first <laughs> half of this movie actually drew me in. The first mm-hmm. half of the movie, I was like, wow, I, this is interesting. And then it just goes so schlocky and so cheesy. Once Robert Loja gets oh, turned oh into my a God. vampire himself. Oh my God. Yeah, mob, mob boss Robert Loja. And then the point where he's like, if we're all vampires, no one can stop the mob. I'm going to start biting all my guys. It's, it's funny you say that because <laughs> it's, it's from the director of Schlock. John Landis. Schlock, I think, is his first film, but like loves pulpy stuff like this. I don't know that he made a solid vampire movie. Vampire in Brooklyn? Uh, no. uh, yeah, but it's... I mean, he made it one of the best werewolf movies, so did. you think it, it's just... think he could do something with it. It's like, it is such a fun idea, and there's so many fun parts to it, but yeah, it does sort of drag. Of like, okay, you want to up the stakes a little? No. Mm. Yeah, it seems like, to... Already, you've already started at nine. <laughs> And, and, and kind of nowhere to go. And really skirts the line. Like, is this a comedy or is this serious? Like, is this a real horror mm. movie? There's a lot of tonal shifts. I don't know what to say about that. John Landis's track record is really fucking strange. And yeah. then next up, we have a movie I remember being bored by. Oh, God, Diane, you're going to make me read this cast list. Nigma? John Connie, Miriam Makiba, Laletti. Kumalo uh, and Whoopi Goldberg. Oh, nice uh, Jewish uh, young lady in this. Oh, and Sarah Serafina. Uh, Serafina, a musical about an uprising against apartheid. Yeah, uh, I forget because like we didn't have access to a ton of videotapes, but this ended up like being kind of everywhere. I feel like it was issued to school or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it might be. Yeah, that actually would make some sense. It's like here is a thing about apartheid, but it's not too heavy, I guess. It is Um, rated R. Very what a strange film. Yeah, it's strange. I mean, it was a a stage show that was popular and made a movie out of it. I think 
because apartheid is basically stopped by the time they're making this movie, I think mm-hmm. Whoopi is like the first black, well, African-American actress to go film in South Africa. Mm. So add that to the EGOT bitches. <laughs> and I like that it's a movie about uh, apartheid that's not about white characters realizing it's bad. It's just about the black <laughs> characters and their survival in, you know, the Soweto uprising. Yeah. Yes, please. Just leave it at their point of view. Just tell their goddamn story. So weird. Just like, just again, a cursory glance at this. It it seems like this is like kind of a pre-Hamilton. Like, just this should have been like a Hamilton sensation. But I guess we weren't really Mm. paying attention to Broadway albums at the time. Yeah, this is a stage sensation that got turned into a movie and the public really wasn't ready for it. And yeah, but apparently it did great in South Africa. Of course um, it did. Whoopi Goldberg was on The Daily Show. <laughs> Trevor Noah mm-hmm. was like, look, I lived in South Africa at the time and oh, we fucking loved it. Awesome. Like, okay. uh, looking it up today, if you go for reviews on YouTube, they're all South African. Really? Like every right. review I saw of this film was from South Africa. Awesome. Cool. I, I would like to hear their point of view. It's nice to hear people actually talk about movies about them. And they could just be like, uh, this they, is some They bullshit. all tended to love it. They I, all really were very right. happy and interested. I love oh, perspectives Serafina. like that. Yeah. Check it out. Serafina, yeah. uh, if you can, I have no idea where that's streaming. I know where the next movie is streaming because it's very hard to see for some reason. I wonder if that's the result of a, a resulting stage play. What the hell? Uh, the musical just closed like two weeks ago. What the hell? Uh, they made a musical starring the two stars. Who 30 years later came back to do it on stage? Who? I don't get that. that the is... public was crying out, crying out for David Paymer. <laughs> okay, I couldn't find this to watch except for freaking Apple TV. Yep, that's that's it. the only place this is showing. If yep. there was this pent up demand, dude, for this to be a Broadway musical, maybe it would be on a service that people actually use. Dude, I was, without it, <laughs> I was trying to get it to you, but it was. It, this is hard to torrent. There's just like not even fans out there sharing this thing. I don't know what to say about it. Ron Silver, Jerry Orbach, Helen Hunt, Julie Warner, David Paymer, and Billy Crystal in Mr. Saturday Night. Billy Crystal is Buddy Young Jr. Hello, everybody. Buddy Young Jr. is Mr. Saturday Night. Columbia Pictures is proud to present a comedy about life. Everything that happens in between. So what's it like being a comedian? It's the best feeling in the world. Mr. Saturday Night. This film is not yet rated. Oh, my God. I, like, okay, okay, okay. It would get an R. I'm not sure Why? Look, I know I've seen many millennials. I would say cruelly bash Billy Crystal, and I understand why. I still have love for the dude. He's made me laugh before. I think he's kind of adorable, despite the blackface appearances. And (laughs) this, I've never encountered a movie like this before, but uh, Diane and I are both big fans of old showbiz stories. If you like listening to the Gilbert Godfrey podcast, R.I.P., this is kind of for you. If you read Cliss Nesterhoff's The Comedians, which I did, this is kind of for you, the story of a non-existent comedian. But it hit hits all the notes of the worst biopic you have ever seen. <laughs> it is so maudlin and, and eye-rolly, but it is an accurate depiction of this era of showbiz Billy Crystal is sending up, which isn't necessarily the one he grew up in. He's doing this kind of wonderful tribute to the comedians he idolized as a young man. So if I say Borscht 
belt. Yeah. Does anyone listening to this podcast under the age of 30 have a clue what that is? I <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but I just watched Dirty Dancing and I've been watching Miss Maisel and if it, it's you'll get that that vibe from it. I, I I feel like I want to like this movie. I think this movie sucks, but 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 it, but it is an honest story of like, and I love that. I love that it's not about a particular comedian, but it is an authentic story of what it was like to be a comedian during this period, the highs and lows, and centered around this nice story about him and his brother manager, played by David Paymer, throughout time and. Makeup and flash forwards, flashbacks. It's fun. This yeah. is the s- story about brotherly love. This mm-hmm. is a love story about brotherly love. This is about the love between two brothers and how it gets s- strained. You know, there are other characters, but that's the main dramatic arc of this story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like, and, I mean, this this is Billy Crystal Cashing in. That, that's good. Uh, that's true. I'm sorry I interrupted. Yeah, I feel this is Billy Crystal cashing in his blank check. Yep. Because City Slickers was such a huge hit. This is his directorial debut. He co-writes it with Bob Lou Mandel and Lil Gans. And, and, and when Harry, when Harry Met Sal is a massive hit. Yeah, it's it's very it really reminds me of For the Boys because we talked mm. about that like less than a year ago. It's just this kind of the same thing of like an amalgam of different show business stories through like the forties, fifties, sixties, fictionalized. But it's also like, it's a love letter to entertainment, old fashioned entertainment. But it's like, if you don't think Billy Crystal is charming, you will hate this. Oh my God, you will not oh. make it 10 minutes. No. He, no. Re- you, it is so based around the idea that you think he's adorable. It, it's, I, uh. but I feel like 30, 40 years from now, when Billy Crystal is dead, this will reflect well upon his talents because he is a very talented guy, but he is. I'm annoyed by him sometimes too, especially in this movie as his sticky comic character. He is clearly improving and eating up scenery in this, having a great time. See, I, I think I like this film better than either of you two because you I I watched it recently for this podcast mm-hmm. and it brought me along. You know, I just took it as a journey to a world I was completely unfamiliar with. Right. You know, as shocking okay. as it is, Jewish comedians of the 1950s is not my forte. Right. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I don't know that world. I didn't live in that world. But I could imagine someone making this movie today about uh, comedians from the 1990s. Mm-hmm. And it would resonate a lot more with me because I watched those all the time growing up. So if Billy Crystal grew up watching all those Borscht Belt comedians, yeah. then, okay, I get it. You right. want to make that story. Okay, show me this nostalgia for nostalgia. I mean, we are at least two or three <laughs> nostalgias removed right. from this And it's thing. super but authentic yeah. to that effect. It really fucking is, because I've read a bunch of bios. Being a, a Jewish entertainer, like comedy was kind of your only door to get in front of a camera. And mm-hmm. and it is the story of a lot of Jewish comedians. And the there was the, yeah the the Borscht Belt were generally bringing it, bringing it back to the anti-Semitism with school ties last week. Right. Uh, Jews were not allowed in a lot of hotels. Yeah, how you tell? I don't fucking know. I mean, if you're not named Rabinowitz, like you know, I know people whose last name is like Wolf. Like I guess that's too Jewy. I don't know. But so just just like black folks did of like okay, well we'll start. It's a parallel economy. We'll have mm-hmm. Jewish resorts for Jewish people to vacation up in the Catskills where it's not so hot during the, the summertime and you go up and yeah like dirty dancing you stay there mm-hmm. you you put on sketches you learn to swim better you have a little romance with a dance instructor you know the usual stuff 
and that's where so many comedians came through in the you know mm-hmm. up till the 60s was like that was the comedy club circuit that they worked and some of them it's like they did the same material for everyone some of them they tailored it like this is my jewish material mm-hmm. and every punchline's in yiddish <laughs> <laughs> it's i i am really of two minds about i think this is a phenomenally well done movie a good idea executed pretty perfectly but it is it does suck it it is it is a <laughs> It is a schmaltzy motherfucking biopic, and mm, Billy Crystal can be a little, a a little grating. Yeah. Maudlin is the thing I just had underlined in my notes. Like, God damn! But like, biopics aren't all the rage yet. So like, this is kind of ahead of its time. The public kind of ignored this. I remember it being kind of a uh, reevaluated when it came to home video because this didn't really get people to theaters. It made its why money is back. it? Why is it lost to time? Except for a freaking Broadway musical. Why could none of us? stream it why could you not even steal it Chris? yeah uh, i don't know man i mean it's castle rock entertainment I, you know it, it, i'm sure it, rob, rob reiner's company's got money behind it what the hell if i had to guess i mean this would probably do well in the netflix era because it's clearly a passion project but like i i, I guess i'm technically the audience for this and so are my parents and this still kind of predates their knowledge of show business you know it was like the audience he's performing for at the end of the movie is the audience that will get the most out of this movie and i don't know how you get them to theaters how you market a mainstream hollywood movie directly to old people Mm -hmm. i don't know yeah i i would like to see a better version of this because there are a million stories like they barely get into how mobbed up everything yes like come on Uh, yeah everything was so mobbed up back then it's pretty interesting hysterical they love that it was mobbed up because they could get their way easily because otherwise someone's fingers are getting broken yeah and sometimes you don't gotta pay taxes on it it's all good they treat you nice free dinners Mm -hmm. and 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 just i love this era i love the history of comedy i love stand-up comedy it's like one of those paths i wanted to take but didn't so i i do love this if you saw that robert de niro movie about called the comedian where robert de niro plays a stand-up comedian it's a fascinating story it fucking sucks. It's one of the worst movies I've ever seen, but an accurate depiction of what it's like to be, you know, a hard road comic. Aging. Aging out of, like, aging out of popularity. That's the other thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, who is the funniest old comic today? Mel Brooks. Knock on wood. <laughs> he, he's not on the road. It's he's true, it's true. He's not performing in no. nightclubs. He, he doesn't have a stand-up special. It's who's the funniest old comic I could actually go see or go watch on TV. It's true. I think I saw Richard Lewis is taking a break from live performing possibly forever. Yeah, I don't know. It's a young person's game. You're up late. You're having horrible hours. You're having to perform. I can give it all your own. Usually you're drinking. I mean, let's face mm-hmm. it, the number of comedians who don't drink on stage is pretty low. At least you know, every every time I've been to mm-hmm. a live show, live comedy show, mm-hmm. the comedian has been drinking on stage. I have done stand-up yeah. drinking on stage. It's kind of the only way I could get it out. I, I, yeah. I see what you're saying, but Jar. But that's not a long-term career. Totally, totally. Yeah, and and, and every, some of the... Like, every older, like, boomer-aged... Uh, a comedian I can think of are just like in Vegas and they're there, like Rita or, or she's just in Vegas. Or like if you look at Steve Martin and Martin Short, they still do tours, but they don't do nightclubs. They do, Mm-mm. you know, they do theaters. Theaters. And 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 yeah, you're right. It's you don't see a lot of sixty and up people running the club circuit, mm-hmm. and if you do, you know, that's where your that's where your movie is. But yeah, I, I, it's so weird. I was so looking forward to this movie, and I thought it, I could redeem it in my eyes, but it really, yeah. 
It's a light recommend for me. Yeah, I guess for I me like too. seeing worlds I haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. This is a world I haven't seen before, so that pulled me along. And, and well, uh, well realized, right? It's a well realized yeah, old well world. Realized and exactly. I, like shot and, in the Fires know, Club. Jerry Lewis makes an appearance. It's very neat. It's very neat. And then uh, the 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 I consider the sort of forgotten juggernaut because. I don't know why yeah. a bunch of people like me saw this number one movie at the box office, but I saw it in the theater twice. It, it's exciting. It's full of action and adventure and romance. Romance. It's got something for everybody. Steve Waddington. It uh, literally does, though. Jody May, Eric Schweig, uh, Russell Means, Wes Studi, Madeline Stowe, and Daniel Day-Lewis. It's number one at the box office. It is Last of the Mohicans. He was a warrior who fought for freedom. I think you and I are going to have a serious disagreement. A leader who defied authority and a rebel who surrendered to no one. What are you looking at, sir? I'm looking at you, miss. 20th Century Fox proudly presents Daniel Day-Lewis. Stay alive, no matter what occurs. Madeline Stone. We'll find you. The last of the Mohicans. Rated R. Starts September 25th in select cities. Starts October 2nd at theaters everywhere. Man, what? This movie. A movie-ass movie. A movie-ass movie. Now, here's, I want to talk about director Michael Mann. I think he's one of... I've said a bunch of times... Sorry, Dad, go ahead. I've said a bunch of times, I actually don't like him. Really? And a bunch of people ask me, what is it you don't like? And I realize, oh, no, wait, I like Michael Mann just fine. I hate Michael Mann bros. There is a whole field of film fan that are just super broed down for Michael Mann because he makes bro movies for bros. Collateral or he, like... He does. And this is, like, the one... Like just kind of straight up, it's it's a historical action epic, and it's fabulous. I think it's my favorite Michael Mann movie, it's, like by a did lot. You, did you hear and him? I really like Manhunter too. Did you hear him on Mark Maron's show? It just I had never heard a long form interview with the guy, and mm-hmm. it did sort of make me. He's one of the most underrated director. He just doesn't do a ton of. He hasn't made a movie in like ten years, but he just yep. he wrote a book that's a sequel to Heat because he just loved writing for those characters. And he's a really thoughtful, a strangely thoughtful guy associated with, you know, a lot of thoughtless bro movies. Well, no, they're but, not thoughtless. I mean, they're, you know what they're I'm quality. Saying, they're very quality dramatic bro movies, but they are absolutely his track record is like it, one it, of the broiest movies his, ever. his track record is kind of amazing he hasn't yeah. really made a bad movie uh, and this is his most successful one is it really yes his most, his successful, most successful one, one. Yeah, based after, on a, a book from like 1826 you can make a strong case that the last of the mohicans is the first great american novel yeah oh. i've seen people argue that too this is, yes absolutely so Anyway, but Michael Mann, the director and co-writer, is coming off of six years of not directing anything. Hmm. Before that was Manhunter, which was a, a failure. Critically beloved now. You know, mm-hmm. it's the introduction of Hannibal Lecter. And before that, he was making Miami Vice, which yeah. was popular, but critics tended to dismiss it. And now they've gone back and reevaluated. Mm-hmm. But Wait, really? Yeah, very... yeah. He, he got his start on Miami. Well, he rose to prominence on Miami Vice and then directed the yeah. Miami Vice movie, which is also like undeniably good. Uh, He's been Miami Vice's shepherd the entire time. Okay. You would never know it from this because this is like we talked about last week with the four feathers. This Mm -hmm. was a, he didn't want to film the book. He wanted to remake the 1936 movie, Mm -hmm. which is more exciting than the book. Right. The book is fine. It's a little silly. It's weird. It's been filmed a bunch of times in 1936. They made a a much more actiony version. And he's like, I want to make that kind of movie. Can I just remake that? Mm Mm-hmm. 
and they let him somehow. I mean, they're, they're, I think that screenplay and the book are credited as in the credits. Like, uh, Credit. yeah. yeah, they have to credit that screenplay because mm-hmm. it is so far from the actual book last of the weekends <laughs> <laughs> from 1826. See, now I want someone to actually film The Last of the Mohicans, the novel. You know, show me what that is. They have. There is a pretty good silent version. Oh, Um, a silent version. I only have to go back 100 years. I mean, I I, I, I very lightly read criticism of the book, and it's not very well regarded today, but nor is the glamorization of the 1936 movie, and this is sort of somewhere in between glossing over certain details to make something incredibly epic and romantic in in a pre-CGI world. I love it. They're like, they're shooting painted basketballs as fucking cannonballs just to make this, this all seem real. <laughs> 900 Cherokee actors in, in, in this film. Like, it is, the detail that, that this movie goes to is still astonishing. I found myself a little bored that you know just sometimes that happens when you you do movies and sometimes i i I downloaded a version and then like did this not get remastered well this is like too dark at certain points but you Uh, know they were shooting like night for night uh, at the time trying to kind of get the lighting to be authentic it it, it just so much darker than i remember in parts and i got an official version still dark I watched the definitive director's cut, which I think is the most widely available to stream. But yeah, I wonder if there's there's not a good remaster for this movie out there somewhere. Hmm. But I don't I, know. I mean, yeah, for the authenticity. So Daniel Day-Lewis mm-hmm. oh, God. had just won an Oscar for My Left Foot, mm-hmm. where he is in a wheelchair the whole movie with, uh, was it Cerebral Palsy? And but everyone's like, he's great. He's amazing. He's the next big thing. And I don't know how it convinced him. Yeah, you should make an action movie. Right. And of course, of course, he day Lewis is it all up like where he really like he wants to learn how to shoot. He wants to learn how to hunt. He wants lived he in the, how to lived in the yeah, woods for months in the woods. <laughs> but at the time, he became one of the only people in the world who could run a full sprint and load a musket at the same time. Yeah. Because <laughs> he wanted to be able to do it for realsies. There's an intensity. It, it feels like strangely one of the more more normal Daniel Day Lewis yeah performances because it, <laughs> it is it is sort of a normal role he's not playing a, a native american he's playing a white guy who, again a lot of my memories of dances with wolves i would i'm glad we're finally separating them because they had kind of gelled together <laughs> of this film because you know we report kevin costner based on that movie is the third highest paid entertainer in the world so people are kind of going after the dance of the wolves uh mm-hmm. aspect yeah we got a, a western resurgence mm-hmm. and resurgence totally we we have a bunch of westerns coming and, and, up and over the next couple of years hence this being hugely and successful oh what I, I think these two uh guess three films mm-hmm. unforgiven dances with wolves and this mm-hmm. that's why we got the resurgence of the western yeah probably yeah i think this helps i mean it, it makes a decent amount of money critics really like it, it doesn't do great at the oscars which that's, i think that is was surprising because also, how many... All right, this movie takes place during the French and Indian War, yeah. which is a war we get one sentence on in American history <laughs> class. And no one gives a shit about what it is, and we all forget about it. And they have to lay out who the different sides are, what they want, what their plans are, and put all of the kind of characters, sort of how how they interact. They have to explain this all in the in, in the framework of a war that we know shit about. Right. And like they do a really good job of just giving us the information we need at this point where it's like, okay, so the English are fighting the French and the Native Americans are mostly on the French side and the American colonists are mostly on the English side. 
but then the English are fucking them over because they're the English and that's what they do. Mm. And the French are fucking over the Indians because that's what they do. And meanwhile, I got this other Indian guy who's like really has it in for this one general. And we eventually find out why. And we go like, oh, that's a pretty good reason. Okay. Yeah. So no, what, I would like, what I would like to say for this film is unlike Dances with Wolves, the Native Americans have agency in this film. Yeah. They're not just these yeah. helpless victims. They have their own goals. They have their own strategy. They are pursuing their own choices. It's not just like history is happening to them. They are part mm -hmm. of the story. They are part of the history. They are making their own decisions. And that's something that's not often shown in Westerns. Mm. Yeah. On, honestly, West Studios Magua is one of the most underrated villains. I, I cannot believe he is so sinister, but very methodical yeah. and clever about how I am going to do this. I'm going to kill this motherfucker and I want to kill his kids because and anyone who gets in my way and I don't care if it's an entire column of troops, I'm going to find a way. Kind of like, an iconic, yeah. a, iconic character that I think cool. stood in for what a lot of people envisioned as Native American, even though he would go on to play the Thai Sagat in a Street Fighter film. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. But then, role. I mean, I appreciate we have, you know, Wes Studi kicking some ass and then we have mm -hmm. Russell Means, who's not an actor. He's an activist. He was huge to the oh. American Indian movement. And they bring him in as, you know, he's uh, Daniel Day-Lewis's adopted father. And he's like an interesting guy. He's dignified, but he's not like the stoic wise engine. And you know? Yeah, I don't want to pat this movie on the back too much to because I don't mainly because I don't want to get shit. But this movie seemed to make what would you call it culturally sensitive decisions 30 years before we demanded that of our films. Yeah. This movie went out of its I, way I, to do that. I think this is the best portrayal of Native Americans mm -hmm. up to this point in time. Mm -hmm. I can't yeah. think of another, at least historical Native Americans. Maybe there's some movie about there about contemporary Native Americans I'm not sure. familiar with. But in terms of historical Native Americans, I don't think any film before this does as good a job as this yeah. does. Dances with Wolves has a couple characters that are a big step forward, mm -hmm. big step forward. But yeah, overall, like, yeah, I and it's tough. because like I don't know whose side I'm on. Everyone's right. got a pretty good point. Like, I understand why that guy wants that. Like, it's filmed out in the the was it the Blue Mountains in North Carolina? It looks where gorgeous. I, I I this is boring, and, but ironically, where I just was for my sister's wedding. I was just here a few weeks ago, and i it's super coincidental. I was in the wedding wearing a kilt in a very <laughs> Scottish-looking wedding, and my sister and her husband came out as husband and wife to the theme of this film, which yeah. is a... I was like, yeah, this does sound Scottish as fuck with no bagpipes, which is really ideal as far as Scottish music goes. And then I, you know, looking into it, it, it was a Scottish song from 1990 that... Michael Mann, I guess, just thought sounded appropriate, but you you probably heard it, even if you've never seen the movie. It's kind of a iconic song after this film. And having just watched Prey, the mm -hmm. Predator film, Man, the I... score borrows so heavily from this one, and I was loving it. God, I like, yes, film. God do damn it! Oh, I love that movie. But yeah, I so I've always posited this as kind of an action movie for women because it's got a bunch of romance, but mm -hmm. then the romance feels much more earned and understandable. And, and they're sort of they're sort of, of bonded kind by of understated like yeah they're like bonded by their trauma being yeah they're chased they're, all over they're the bonded place. by their trauma and wanting to do the right thing this yeah it's it's a little more than just like 
it even says something to that effect as a character. Like, are you after the skirt? And like, yeah, dude, this girl's hot. <laughs> uh, it's... Like, did you see her? She's a badass. Mm-hmm. I really like her. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. They, they, they like. It's not just like physical, or it's not just like they meet cute and then they're they're fighting and now they respect each other. It's like it's like on an intellectual level they yeah. get each other. There's a cause that bonds them. That's that's more than just attraction. It's kind of neat. Like it, so, I I'm not shitting on the movie by saying I was bored by it. Just sometimes it was dark. Sometimes it's a lot of British arguing. Sometimes there's a lot of wigs, and I was just in the location, so it you know it's not going to impress me. I was just there. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh. Yeah, the movie holds up surprisingly well, and even though it feels both classic and modern at the same time, in a way, I don't feel like the Four Feathers did. But yeah, that's very true. Where it's like it's and it's got, I mean, it's got some pretty brutal violence, but oh, I yeah. feel like this is one of the softest R's we're going to talk about in a while. The bloodshed is not that bad, but yeah, as a very classically, it's it is a very classic Hollywood adventure movie mm-hmm. with like way more authenticity than Hollywood ever bothered with before. Uh, aesthetic authenticity, I think they... Yeah. Even at the time, critics were like, this isn't really what happened, but it is much more exciting than what really happened. <laughs> and I, I don't know what really but, happened. But they explain stuff like, how do you besiege a fort with cannons? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and they give you like a, t- a clock, like a ticking clock of like, okay, so they're digging digging trenches and then they can move these cannons up and then they'll blow us all to hell. So we got this much time. I'm like, okay, gotcha. That's all I needed to know. Thank you. Yeah, I just I want just and just want to give a big shout out to Michael Mann because like as, as far as a thoughtful movie goes, holy shit! I think this probably got a little more money thrown at it as a result of Dances with Wolves, but it was in production for a very long time, and it's a very thoughtful film with a lot of authenticity put into it, and it deserves to be reevaluated. And it was super successful. It yeah. grossed like a hundred and fifty million dollars as this this small movie from a director who didn't have much of a pedigree at that point outside of like film nerd circles. Daniel Day-Lewis isn't necessarily a household name. And the, mm-hmm. if I think if I'm, maybe my mom, had, I know she had a Daniel Day-Lewis thing. Maybe she took me to this twice because this is an action movie. All ladies I know love. Got something for everybody. Uh, and it's kind of hard to stream. Now, it's available oh. places. It's just like, it has a pulled version from a lot of, there's a version that was pulled digitally and I don't really know why. Um, yeah. It has a lot of landing pages that are empty. But there is, a Director's Cut is the only one I could see available and it's Vudu, Amazon, Apple, and that is kind of it. Yeah, so I, and I think the different lengths and cuts is only, it's like not even 10 minutes. Yeah. Like It's not, not a massive change. And yeah, I guess the last thing I'll say on this is my undying respect to Michael Mann on this one when it came out on VHS. Letterboxd only, bitches. Yeah. And it had a thing mm-hmm. explaining it at the beginning of like, we want you to see this movie, how it looked in theaters. Those black bars are there for your safety, goddammit. And I, I don't think I've seen this movie in 20 years. <laughs> that shot where the natives on both sides uh, in the tall grass like come at the British... Uh, you can't cut that frame. You can't cut. It's such, such a, a great action. Scene. It's such a sustained shot. If you were to cut that and try and pan scan, you would fucking ruin the choreography that went into it. It's it, it stuck in my brain. When, whenever in a history book I saw French, uh, French Indian War, I thought of that shot. And it was really cool to see again. Maybe you have some uh, a similar memory than as I do. I think this is a pretty okay recommend from all of us, right? Yeah. This is my yeah. recommend of the week, man. Yeah. This, this is one of I the movies so, in 1992 too. I was looking forward to going back and seeing, okay, there's got to be like 
some problem that I missed as a kid or whatever. Nah, dude, this movie deserves so much more love than it gets. Yeah. Last Mohicans rules. It, it is shot. I think it gets nominated for best sound, and like that is it for the Oscars. Where like there's some great performances dude, this, in here. Costumes the are cinematography. Cinematography. It just the doesn't cinematography make sense. is Dante Spinotti, who is a genius. So mm-hmm. what the fuck are we doing here? <laughs> right. Last of the Mohicans, baby. We're giving it a recommend. Let's move into television. I have some TV news I left out of the news section. Just real quick. Hirings and firings. Helen Kushnick, famously played by Kathy Bates in uh, The Late Shift, Jay Leno's manager and Tonight Show producer, is fired to the applause of everyone in the entertainment industry because she had made booking <laughs> guests on talk shows. A nightmare Arsenio Hall had publicly complained about her. I don't know it by name, but everybody knew who he was talking about. And then John Crickfalusi, Almost a year to the day of the premiere of Ren and Stimpy is fired off of Ren and Stimpy mm. for delays, causticness. There's a, a great Ren and Stimpy documentary that tries to offer a balanced look at John Kay, who turns out to be kind of a very unappealing person. If you really like Ren and Stimpy, you may owe a lot more to Bob Camp, the guy who doesn't get a creative by credit, but kind of made more episodes than John Kay did because he was notoriously late and rude to executives and a, a damn downright shit heel to women. <laughs> I thought this was awesome. The USA Network takes its movie and TV catalog and spins off into something I was so excited for. The Sci-Fi Channel launches this week. So the channel's history is really interesting. Yeah. A husband and wife team were trying to come up with their own channel. And originally it was going to be the hair and makeup channel. What? Uh, yep. <laughs> originally the sci-fi channel was That's... going to be the hair and makeup channel because Laura Silvers, one of the people who created it, thought women are always going to want to watch about hair and makeup. But then she went to a blockbuster and she was talking to the owner and the owner mentioned something was unusual about their sci-fi section. Sci-fi fans would rent a movie, then bring it back so they don't have to pay the late fine, which is more expensive, and then rent it immediately again to watch it longer. <laughs> and the blockbuster person said that did not happen in any other genre. Mm. That was something only happening in the sci-fi genre. Right. And, and, and she got together with her. Speaking from kids our age, like that was the stuff I was most interested in seeing on TV anyway. And it mm-hmm. sometimes was difficult, you know? So they got together and they were like, okay, there's obviously a market for sci-fi, but neither of us have any cachet in the sci-fi community. Who should we get? Do you know who they got? Who? Isaac frickin' Asimov. Right. Yeah, just, just a little no-name writer, really on the start of his career. Just the, the king of all things. The guy who has a book in every single section of the Dewey Decimal System. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And they started workshopping ideas around and he said, you know... I am big in the book section of sci-fi, but I'm not really big in TV Mm sci-fi. But maybe I can call in a favor with someone. Mm -hmm. And do you know who he called in a favor with? I do. Oh, no. Gene Roddenberry. Gene frickin' Roddenberry! (laughs) And, And do you know what favor he called in? What? So Isaac Asimov was sitting in line with Gene Roddenberry at a sci-fi con before Star Trek premiered and gene roddenberry was pitching him on star trek and he was talking about how he's really having problems with this mr spock character and isaac asimov told gene you know what you need to do make spock half human half alien there you go and after that the character just flowed and so yeah gene roddenberry owed isaac asimov something so he got together with the uh, sci-fi channel 
and they were about ready to launch. And then the Gulf War happened <sighs> and it had to be delayed. They made a deal with Disney where they could set up shop at MGM Studios. Mm -hmm. But then the USA Network came to them and said, this is a really great idea. Yep. We want you to sell it to us. And if you don't sell it to us, we're going to use all our clout to make our own channel, which will crush your pygmy little effort that you've done so far. <laughs> Those are almost word for word what the USA Network said. So in my opinion, very wisely, they took the money. Yeah. And, yep. and, and, and just, I was a big sci-fi fan, couldn't get enough, stayed up late at night just wanting to see Martian movies and Godzilla shit. And we didn't get sci-fi for a couple of years, but it was always fascinating that you could turn it on on a Saturday morning in the 90s and see, oh, the fucking Ewoks cartoon and droids. <laughs> and oh, oh, and I remember I, what, they play Fantastic Planet, that like 70s Czech animation oh. film, Max Headroom. They play Max Headroom stuff. It was such a cool channel. And it really did launch with something that I think sort of changed cable television. It, what I, and I also, what, what's on YouTube is the countdown to sci-fi's launch. And it is awesome. They've since, I wouldn't say rebranded, you know, they do show Harry Potter a little too much for my taste, but but, but uh, uh, they've kept pretty much to, you know, genre stuff and yeah. changed the spelling. But the opening, the opening is like a Disney ride, the faster than light news network and a robot telling you from the future what's about to happen. And, and the only reason I knew what JR was talking about, because there's a countdown and it's just like, before we start. Thank you to the two most instrumental people, Isaac Asimov and Gene Roddenberry. They're thanked in the opening second of the debut of the Sci-Fi Channel. And then it launches into this, like, theme park-esque ARG. Welcome to Paramount FTL Newsfeed. 24 September, 2142. This is an FTL Newsfeed special report. Kai Densmore, curator of the Skywalker Floater Museum and Theme Park, announced today that the only known complete print of the 165-year-old science fiction masterpiece, Star Wars, has been located and fully restored. The film will soon be transferred to Hollowdisk so that legions of Star Wars fans can enjoy this timeless classic in the comfort of their own heads. But now, by special arrangement with Comlink, a sneak preview of the fully restored Star Wars. That, I just think this is so neat. <laughs> and, and what I want to give Sci-Fi yeah. Channel a shitload of credit for. I already, you know, I like Star Wars. We have the Sega Star Wars show. It had kind of taken a break from the zeitgeist. And when the Sci-Fi Channel, big get, launches with the movie Star Wars. They eventually, a year later, air the trilogy together, which hadn't really happened before. And USA, a much bigger channel, would just take that content. Because in between the movie, they'd like show you how they made the movie. And that wasn't, you know super common practice at the time, but really helped you love and appreciate what you were seeing, like showing how they made the effects in between the commercials. Really neat. USA just took it, I remember just took it wholesale from sci-fi and started airing it there to huge ratings because it's fucking Star Wars. And and But yeah, the sci-fi channel launching, super exciting. We wouldn't get it for two years later and I remember being excited because we didn't have Star Trek in our territory. I'm like, I can finally watch Star Trek. And they, as far as I was watching, they never had the rights to anything but the cartoon. And I was denied seeing the original <laughs> series once again. Oh my God, we got to move on because so many great things happened this week, including the debut of one of the most, I'd say it's kind of rated. It got an Emmy. Everybody should know what this is. The Ben Stiller yeah, Show. It's so short-lived, short but... Treated like so shit. I, 
I, I don't think everyone should know what it is. It is, yeah. it is, it lasted so short and it is 30 years ago. I mean, it's true. I, That's I true. can definitely see a lot of people not knowing what this is. That's true. Yeah. But I get to show off my cool cred that I was watching it live. Me too. I'm Me too. Cool. Me too. Yeah, but I, I, I but I don't have, so cool. I don't have the cool cred. I, cause I wasn't watching, uh, there were MTV, like back in the, the launch of cable, it, Cable launched itself like, yeah, we don't have any commercials. It's part of your cable plan. And it wasn't necessarily they didn't want commercials. They couldn't fill the inventory because they didn't know how many people were watching. So things like Nickelodeon and MTV would make short content for in between where they would eventually want commercials to be. And Ben Stiller had made a bunch of stuff for MTV that is kind of lost to time. So he had already made a bunch of sketches that are like really hard to see as far as I can tell. And he had clout with a young network in Fox, the Ben Stiller show. No one had heard of Ben Stiller in the universe. I think uh, not even and Mira's boy. Yeah. Yes. At this <laughs> point, let alone his co-stars, Andy Dick, Janine Garofalo and Bob Odenkirk. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> that's, that's the cast <laughs> with a bunch of great guest stars and amazing writers. Um, you can see a bunch of stuff, Bob and David Cross doing stuff early on in Ben Stiller's show leans heavily on pop culture parody, but like, you know, for people our age, that's where we were. I mean, again, this is like I kind of touched on in the movie Singles. Mm -hmm. We are really starting to take off on the sharp uprise curve of Gen X just referencing the shit out of popular culture. I really yeah. don't think like that was nearly as big a thing in the early 80s as it was by the early 90s. Yeah. I, I really think it's a generational shift we're starting to feel right at this year. That black yeah, and white I mean parody of Lassie with Charles Manson instead of Lassie. <laughs> What's that boy? The government's got things in our head, man. That's what they fell down the well. Uh, <laughs> Manson. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like the first episode. One of the things is about Eddie Munster starring in Cape Fear. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That was weirdly one of Ben Stiller's SNL. Ben Stiller had a short-lived SNL career, and that's one of the only recurring characters I think he had on SNL for his single season, yeah. where he quits in the middle. And then later we have, uh, you know, stuff like Skank, the horrible-looking sock puppet who yes. has a sitcom on the Married with Children set. <laughs> one of my favorite silly sketches was interviewing Metallica, and they'd never made a... They'd never allowed their music on a soundtrack, but something about this movie where the father changes places with the son spoke to them so much they had to write an exclusive song for this, this fucking, I don't know. It's all silly stuff like that. And it, I wouldn't say it holds up great because some of it is like real specific to stuff happening in the 90s. Dana Gould's Wilford Brimley Quaker Oats commercial, but go he goes taxi driver by the end, <laughs> is so funny. Yeah, um, and some of it will always hold up. You know, cops parodies are... They're evergreen. Yeah. You can you can have medieval ones. You can have Salem witch trial ones. Yeah, whatever. One of my favorite skits, though, is utterly lost to time. We do have a clip of it. Though. Oh, please. Hi, my name is Bob. Hi. And I'm the amusing young friend who teaches them all about dandruff. I'm really sorry about my friend. What's wrong with him? Well, for one thing, he's obsessed with dandruff. Oh. Are we having fun yet? And for some reason, he keeps speaking in these irritating, funny phrases. I just just hate him so much sometimes better beam me up scotty there's no intelligent life here do you want to get a cup of coffee or something yeah i'd love to great i don't think we're in kansas anymore hey mr wilson you know why your wife left you you've got dandruff 
It's so specific. It's so yeah. specific. It was such a specific reference to a specific commercial that was only broadcasting for like a few months, but it just stuck in your brain because right. there was this annoying guy who always went, looks like you've got dandruff. And he talks just like Ben Stiller in the skit. Right. And to have that referenced in a show was just blowing yeah, my mind. SNL had yeah. done commercial parodies, but they were very rarely a parody of a specific commercial. Like, They'd be a parody completely. of a style or a, a, sh yeah. a funny product. And this is just something yeah. you're witnessing in real time, maybe even in the break of the show. Uh, yeah, and considering it's not a live show, it's a mm. film show that they could move really fast. They have a Last of the Mohican sketch. Wow. Yeah, wow. it's it's all about, you know, how how did Daniel Day-Lewis get in training, get into such good shape? It's the Mohican Master 3000, which is a treadmill <laughs> with different settings, like, you know, chased by French explorers or something. <laughs> you by the people who did Jazzercise with Wolves. And this goes, what is it? <laughs> 11 episodes, 13 episodes, a couple unaired. And, and, and then yep. Comedy Central picked it up and aired reruns for like a couple of years. And that's, I, 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 I was watching it at the time, loved it, but I got to, you know, rediscover it and become obsessed with it and eventually got, it's a great DVD box set if it's still out there somewhere because you can't see it really anywhere else. It's, did you find it streaming anywhere? Found a bunch of clips on YouTube. On YouTube that's yeah. all I found. Oh, I love Andy Dick's bomb diffuser guy, but he has to go to the bathroom and there's no toilet paper, so he just drives off and the action sequence keeps going. <laughs> ah, I really like the Ben Stiller show, but man, it it's, might be of a for a certain time. Some of it's timeless, but man, 90s kids, you're going to dig it. Yeah. <laughs> so, and so many writers and, and small performers that went on to do other stuff. Very first time I saw the name Judd Apatow and I was like, yep. wonder who that guy is. Mm -hmm. You really read the credits that closely? Because it's, it's created by... Yeah. Okay. And in a couple of years, we have the critic, and I see that name again, and I'm like, that guy is apparently awesome if yeah. he's behind two of my favorite shows. He's on Larry Sanders and the he critic. Was and on Larry and, and, and I, yeah, I remember and, yeah. before I knew what he looked like, I just knew him as this guy who was working on every show I liked that okay. the rest of the world didn't. I'm that much of a dork. Speaking of shows the rest of the world didn't like, I don't know how this, I don't know what's going on here, and I'm a big Jim Henson fan. What do we have here? So this is Dog City. Dog City is a mix of animation and Jim Henson puppetry. Jim Henson will explain where the idea came from. Did you ever see one of those old paintings of a bunch of dogs sitting around playing cards? Well, that inspired us to create a whole city of dogs based on the style of the gangster movies of the 30s and 40s. Yep. Because of course it did. The, the, when you see the, that picture of dogs playing poker, you of course go, well, obviously this needs to be a gangster film. So the, the, one of the most fascinating uh, Jim Henson artifacts not available to us right now is the Jim Henson Hour, an NBC show from 89. Jim Henson is dead. When this, yeah. by the time this airs, yeah. uh, the Jim Henson Hour became this weird repository of like, we'll make some new Muppet stuff, but kind of we're going to launch pilot ideas or failed pilot ideas or show a Western audience a bit of the storyteller, which is airing in England. And it would be this weird mishmash of kind of whatever the Jim Henson studio was working on. So three years earlier, they made a one hour live action Dog City pilot that went nowhere. And I, I would guess after this, the massive success of Muppet Babies, they were able to like, well, we have this similar concept. If you don't remember, Muppet Babies did incorporate Little Muppet Monsters. That's the theme song you hear at the end with some live action stuff. So this was a live action animated hybrid. I can't believe it went for three seasons. I think it's just the Jim Henson clout because I was not that interested. It's God, so weird because 
or it's trying to do multiple things. The live action puppetry mm -hmm. is about an artist who is animating the show that you are watching. Yeah. And his life bleeds over into the show. So there comes a point when the show is about to be canceled or Nick, the creator of the show in universe, which is to say a puppet dog is told by his <laughs> creation that he can either sell out to the man and completely change his cartoon or stay true to himself. And his creation says, let me die. I don't want to exist. And you keep your art artistic integrity. Holy crud. Is that a lot for a cartoon inspired by dogs playing? <laughs> and it, it, Oh, okay. We got to keep going. There's so much fun stuff in this segment. Perhaps the least fun, but most popular. Mad about you debuts. Did you even remember they rebooted that on like a channel none of us care about, and Not yeah. nobody showed up? Well, I was researching this. Like yeah. when I was doing Mad About You, uh, my process. I look on YouTube for reviews, and like all I found was reviews of the new stuff, and like mm -hmm. zero reviews of this old show. This show, which ran seven years, you know, it had long run in syndication. It was a huge rating juggernaut mm -hmm. and nothing there, there. There there wasn't like, oh, yeah, I'm I'm reviewing this series that I love. Yeah, it's, it's, it's you don't even associate it with like this is what came on a half hour before Seinfeld. And yeah. every yeah. new show premiered in between this and Seinfeld. And it's never spoken of in the same breath because they kind yeah. of end at the same time. Yeah, I think that's weird because, yeah, this was, uh, you know, it's a huge hit. It's. It feels like it's from a couple of years later. Mm -hmm. I mean, this feels like we're just doing more friends, but we are predating friends, obviously, and mm -hmm. that we're about, but also we're obviously post Seinfeld. And it's like, let's make more New York comedies, mm -hmm. I guess. And, like, and great character actors in the in the supporting cast. Like Richard yeah, Kind is like the first let, time I see him. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's like, let, let's get a comedian, put them in either a family sitcom or like a single people sitcom. This was a married people sitcom. We got... Helen Hunt, who's just sort of been floating around since she was a child actress, yep. but hasn't really done a lot. She's in Mr. Saturday Night. Yeah, <laughs> and not a very big part, though. I think I mean, that's, that's, that's my... Part, I don't love the show. My favorite story is they had, what would you call that? The Favored Nations Clause. Mm -hmm. The second to last season, Helen Hunt wins an Oscar for As Good As It, as gets, good as it gets. And yeah. demands, I'm an Oscar winner now. I need a huge pay raise. And Paul Reiser just sat back and like, they have to match my salary. I, I don't... I, I'm not making any demands. And so he got whatever <laughs> she got, deservedly so, he just got anyway. And like, yeah, yeah so go for it, Helen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's got, you know, they're, they're a cute couple. They have cute couple problems. It's like they've got wacky friends and family, which is, yeah, stacked hands at Anne Ramsey, John Pankow, Pankow uh, Richard Kine in particular, just like ridiculously stacked supporting characters who just. Or just, hey, it's that guy's who know how to prop up. And, and trivially, if you were aware, briefly, Helen Hunt was married to Hank Azaria. And Hank yep. Azaria gets a character on this show. Oh, I for, forgot all about that. About the duration of their marriage comes and goes around the same time. You know, but yeah. uh, And also, uh, yeah, speaking of him again, Mel Brooks came on for a guest spot. And I believe that's where he got his Emmy for his EGOT. Wow. Because wow. he'd come on kill and then leave <laughs> that's his job not on what he's like 95 i'm worried about it. i know i know and then the funniest thing pointed out to me this week by jr is the promo for the show rhythm and blues and it is so good i sort of demand you guys need to watch it and we'll try and put it in front of your eyes either on the episode page or on our facebook the laser time facebook it is 
so awful and stupid and just hilarious. What is the premise of Rhythm and Blues? A African-American woman inherits a radio station after her husband dies. And the station is struggling, so they hire this awesome voice from a different city. Uh, they interview him over the phone. He's a radio jockey, so that works out fine. And he arrives at the station, and they realize that he is not, in fact, black. He is a white guy. And not just that, he's She-Hulk's dad. He's, I believe. Is that Mark nah. Lynn Baker? I think it is. No, it's not. Oh, it's not? But okay, well, he nope. looks a lot like him. He looks kind of like him, yeah. And the promo the, is like... He I, was the Zima guy? Yeah, he's the Zima he guy. He was the Zima guy. Roger Cabler, he was the Zima guy. He, yeah. It's not offensive. It's just something you wouldn't really do now. It, you would never do this today. It's a bad idea. Panning over the black cast in the promo with the song One of These Things is Not Like the Other before you get to a white guy who's grinning ear to ear and giving the big nerdy thumbs up next to the well-dressed black cast. It is... It's the one of the most cringe moments I've had in a while. So look up the Rhythm and Blues promo. What it's a great find, and I laughed hysterically this week. SNL has its 18th season premiere with Nick Cage hosting with a Bobby Brown as the musical guest. There's a sketch here which really hit home to me. So my last name Rawls rhymes with ball, and Jr. of course means yeah. I know. <laughs> and uh, JR, of course, is short for junior. So junior balls was something I got called a lot in high school. Why didn't and I think of that? There's Nicholas Cage's character had a similar experience. Is this? Oh, I think I might remember this. I know this. Yes. Hi. I... Okay. So that I thought this was Kevin Nealon. I, I love this joke. My dad and I still quote it because we randomly saw this. They go, they're going over baby names, and he rejects everyone, everyone for fear of like what the kids will turn it into. Chris Antista, full of pizza. Uh, Diana, good man. Hot. You can't do anything with that, Di. You're so safe. And Dirty Diana came out when I was 10. So, okay, Dirty <laughs> Diana. So finally, they can't decide on a baby name. We kind of see what's behind this guy's fear over being taunted over a simple name. Hi, how you doing? I got a telegram here for Mr. and Mrs. Asswipe Johnson. <laughs> Thank you, that's us. I'm supposed to read it. Dear ass wife and Emily, congratulations on your upcoming blessed event. All our love, Bob and Diane. Here you go, sir. Uh, listen, uh, that's Oz We Pay. What? Forget it. <laughs> it's, it's, I love it when you look at the YouTube video and you can see where like people scroll to the most. It is literally the bill because the laughs aren't hysterical throughout. It's the end of the sketch that makes it funny and memorable. And if you look at the YouTube, you can see where most people scroll to the ass wipe reveal. Uh, <laughs> love this sketch. As we pay. As we pay. Also, whoops, debuts this week. <laughs> I've, I've had uh, two separate online conversations where people didn't believe that this series exists. Okay, it's about six survivors of a worldwide nuclear holocaust trying to live on an abandoned farmhouse and reestablish civilization, and it's a Fox comedy! Ah. <laughs> oh, boy. With a laugh. Oh, yeah. Starring Evan Handler. God, it took him forever to have a career. But oh. now he does. That's nice. I mean, he's Charlotte's husband on Sex and the City. That guy. He's so lovable. So uh 14-year-old JR gobbled this up. I I don't know what was with me, but it was like again, genre starved. Apocalypse? Well, there's no other show on TV about that, so I guess I'll watch this. And yeah. like I thought it was the most hilarious thing ever. It does not it. hold up. The the only thing that got a chuckle was when it gets a little self 
referential when it begins to know that it's in a post-apocalyptic world, like in this clip. Oh, hell. It's a giant spider. <laughs> it must be some sort of mutation, a result of the radioactivity. You think? <laughs> I don't know. Wow. I chuckled at that. Just like, I mean, okay. hats off. I, f- I figured they wouldn't show the spider, but they did. Yeah. They yeah. showed the giant spider uh, with some forced perspective. And, and that's, dude, what a great juxtaposition because the season the four will be forgotten forever. Yeah. And the thing that will live forever, we're right next to each the, other. The tone of that sitcom juxtaposed with what I think is The Simpsons knowing exactly what it is in its season four premiere. It mm-hmm. m- might be one of my favorite episodes. Camp Krusty. One of the few episodes that I know of to like basically get its own game. No, the game was in development before this oh! episode. Oh! I think I'm with you, JR. This is... They have found like the perfect mastery of joke delivery. How surreal are we? How grounded are we? It's both at the same time. There's so many wonderful lines out of this. And you, mm-hmm. I think we both have a favorite. We do. Uh, <laughs> before we get to it, just oh. a couple of other things. I watched this with my son. He was blown away. It still absolutely holds up. It's a great thing. They opened the episode with Bart's daydream about destroying the school. Yes. And... <laughs> That is more real to me than any one last day of school. Like, if I try to picture an actual, real JR last day of elementary school, I got nothing. But I will never, ever, ever forget. Wait! I didn't tell you how World War II ended. We won! (laughs) We won! (laughs) And and, and just like on Talking Simpsons, I always talk about with people my age, you could just use... References as shorthand in the Mr. Black dub over. We could just say that to one another for lines that are doctored or whitewashing of history, like uh, Mr. Black uh, from this episode. It's it's such a comedic genius episode. So many parts of it are just like an average joke in this episode would be the best joke in many other episodes. I mean, this it's it's one of the only episodes that they've acknowledged it by giving it a sequel Two, three years ago. It got a sequel episode. Not very, not, not the same, not the same vibes, but you know, that's hard to recapture, but just, well, yeah, I know I'd never lend my name to an inferior product. (laughs) (laughs) What do you mean? Little pot. (laughs) Okay. But I know we, we, it's so weird that just uh, something that is basic as they go to a camp, the camp is horrible. It turns into Lord of the Flies, sort of. Yes. That yep. they, there are so many individual jokes yes. here. It moves so it is, so fast and, and sets God, the pacing. And, and remember, like uh, the Simpsons, I think, have finally found their dedicated animation studio with Film Roman. So like they can make animation jokes and be sure they'll be return to them in the shape that they want them to instead of the Rugrats people messing things up. Camp Krusty, I know this line, every time I see something happen <laughs> happening in politics, I'm like, hiring the bullies to be the camp, the, the Springfield bullies <laughs> to be the camp counselors. Stroke a community genius. Yo, Mr. Black, another brandy. Gentlemen, to evil. <laughs> to evil. Gentlemen, to evil. To evil. I, again, I've, I've used that quote numerous times. Like, anything I'm doing something sketchy with a friend, mm-hmm. gentlemen, to, to evil. To evil. <laughs> to, I love it. Yep. I love it. I've uh, definitely stolen that one. There is one from Ben Stiller's show that I'm waiting for someone to actually acknowledge that, oh, I get that. 
reference. They never do. It has to do with Oliver Stone land. And I'll just, I, oh, I don't want right. to even give it away. I don't even want to give it away. All right. All right. Well, let's close out this segment with some games and music. I'm as, not really dead. As, fa- <laughs> as fast as we can. Adventure Island 3 comes to NES, kind of the end of this entire series. Yeah. Save for one yeah. Super Nintendo version. My only question is, he rides a dinosaur in this one. Yes. And yet I know that they really wanted to include a dinosaur in the Mario 3 but they were told like that wasn't technically possible. But I guess they just figured it out over right. the next three because years. Because this is this is a year after the debut of Yoshi, like like eighteen months after the debut of Yoshi. Yeah. So they've sort of figured it out. Uh, Master Higgins can kind of ride stuff. He was Hudson's Mario for a little bit. I love the original Adventure Island. Have very little experience with these. Power Blade Two is out on NES. I think wildly different from the well received Power Blade One. I forget the story there, but it's interesting. It's kind of like Mega Man. Yeah, uh, and then uh, Spider-Man: Return of the Sinister Six for NES. Yet, oh, good lord! Damn you, LGN! LGN! Damn you! LGN! Okay, I, was, I was such a huge Marvel fan. Yep. I mean, this is the peak of my Marvel mania. This is when I'm going to the comic shop. Actually, not I'm not a comic shop. I'm going to my local Seven Eleven because that used to carry comic books, and I would go there two, sometimes three days a week just to see what the latest one was. And I was like desperate for any media because it was 1992, not 2022, Mm -hmm. where I have unlimited Marvel stuff at my fingertips. Okay, back then, it was like, oh my God, a Marvel video game. I so want this, but it is God awful. It is just horrible jumping, horrible kicking. It's like, I don't understand how in 1992, you can lack the skills to make a game this bad. You have so many other good games. Just like yep. copy one of Steal them. Steal the Ninja Turtles formula. That that's it. Just do that. And I know what JR's frustration is because I don't Marvel and, and Nintendo might have been like the two biggest things in my world. I would have easily sacrificed my parents' lives for one or the other. And there are no good Marvel games on the NES, period. None. None. They're all terrible. All terrible. Okay. Um no, I'm okay. positive. Everyone is worse than the last. The X-Men LGN game, fucking terrible. Wolverine game is terrible. Silver Surfer is one of the worst games of all time with great music. But yeah, it's all terrible. All the Marvel games are terrible. Anyway, moving on to Music of 1992, of the Road by Boys to Men is still number one. We also have new releases from Music to Drive by by Compton's Most Wanted. Clever. I love that title. These are, we have some real hardcore winners in here, man. Yeah. I'm going to try to not talk too long about some of these. I love Music to Drive by. It's a great title. Yeah. Well well done, CMW. Uh, Experience the debut of of The Prodigy. Wow, I didn't know Mm -hmm. that was 1992. Electronic is coming. Uh, Just over that hill. Precious by Shanty Moore. The Triumph of Seal by Man of War. Our Time in Eden by 10,000 Maniacs. Us by Peter Gabriel. Core, the debut of Stone Temple Pilots and Dirt by Alice in Chains. Shit. Uh, I, those last three, I freaking love them, but Us by Peter Gabriel in particular. Really? As much as I am a grunge person, Us by Peter Gabriel is one of the finest albums I have ever freaking heard in my life. Wow. It, it is wall-to-wall awesome. And I can tie this all in with Chris's interest in... It had video with some of the first... Uh, computer animation yeah taught. the video for steam and kiss that frog were really cool peter gabriel some of the most expensive music videos of all time because he was kind of a weird dude back in the day he's an animation nerd man yeah. he, he really is you think about how much stop motion there is in like sledgehammer yeah it's amazing and, uh, and this is the one i want to go out with digging in the dirt where he's got he let snails run all around over, over his face and then did a bunch of stop motion stuff with things right. it's really cool creepy i do remember this all right so we will close out with digging in the dirt but stay right there we have two more segments that hopefully will not be as long as this one. Don't move. Digging in the 
Coming into 2002 with Guess I'm Doing Fine by Beck off of Sea Change, which was on Rolling Stone's top 500 albums until it was bumped off in 2020. Beck, he's back. And very different. This is He's really understated. Mm-hmm. This is lots of quiet ballads from Beck. No two turntables on a microphone. Mm-mm. Mm. No midnight vultures. Yep. Welcome to 2002, September 23rd to the 29th. Other new music releases include Head On Straight by Tonic, The Headphone Masterpiece by Cody Chestnut, In Absentia by uh, Porcupine Tree, Infiltrate, Destroy, Rebuild by CKY, Voyage to India by India RE, The Naked Ride Home by Jackson Brown. Hey, there he is again. Uh, Purple Onion by Les Claypool, Strong Enough by Travis Tripp, Up by Peter Gabriel, his, his last full new album of new songs in 20 years. Yeah, huh. I think some of it is he got in a fight with the label because he wanted to call his album Up. And they said, R.E.M. is putting out an album called Up. You have to wait. And then they made him wait for four years or something. I mean, so, like, who? Fuck it. Who, if, who would make that mistake? And I if they know. do, it's their fault. Dilemma by Nelly featuring Kelly Rowland is still number one. Bam. Yeah, I was seeing uh, in a little bit of news, a little bit of tech news. I think I saw somewhere around this month, Sun Microsystems starts using... Linux and other open source OSs instead of Microsoft Windows. And now we have our first public version of a web browser, Mozilla Firefox, that is released this week. Yeah, I used to love Mozilla, and then Chrome came out, and I switched to that. And now the only time I use Firefox is when I need to do this recording, because (laughs) for some reason, Chrome messes up my microphone all the time. I have no idea why. I love that, well, Mozilla has kind of reframed its browser because it was always lighter, faster, created that like autofill thing, which seems like brilliant. We haven't had to type in a full URL in like 20 years, but it's the privacy browser because Chrome is the opposite, a bloated piece of uh, software that is built to watch everything you do and Mozilla is not. Yet I I still use it. I know. I'm I'm still Firefox, baby. Yeah. And I'm I'm not biased just because I went to... uh, Harry Potter World on Mozilla's Dime. Um, I promise. Anyway, moving into movies of 2002. Who oh boy! Again, some big hits here, but I, I, the, not not necessarily. Weird ones. Uh, the first couple are weird. Yes, James Coburn, Juliana Margulies, Olivia Williams, Mick Jagger, Andy Garcia, and the Man from Elysian Fields. This is a weird one, man. Um, Andy Garcia produced this, and he plays a guy who he's a writer down on his luck, and he. Gets hired by Mick Jagger to become a gigolo, uh-huh. and <laughs> um, and in a in a weird parallel to Bitter Moon that we just talked about, so he gets with Olivia Williams, whose husband is uh, an older, weirder dude played by James Coburn. But uh, instead of it being weird BDSM stuff, he's like a writer Andy Garcia really admires, and then like they write together, and but he feels bad of like what the hell am I doing here? Why am I like? And I'm lying to my wife about what I'm doing with my money and my time and that i'm a gigolo now and mick jagger's giving me money like if mick jagger's giving you money like you're probably up to no good Mm. (laughs) it's odd i want to make a movie about me being a a man that women pay for sex that's yeah (laughs) it was okay i mean i thought it was okay but Mm -hmm. it was just like i'm sorry who's in this again (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and we also have uh, this is a I've heard a lot of people say positive things about this I didn't get to see it No Wiley Patrick Fugit Billy Connolly Renee Zellweger Robin Wright Penn Michelle Pfeiffer and Ashley Lohman in uh, White Oleander based on a very popular book mm-hmm. so uh, makes sense and like the story that we had about the kid who divorced his parents this is about someone stuck in the foster care system because mm. their mom is in prison for killing a guy and she's a bad person who just keeps manipulating her daughter's life from prison. Yep. 
And then eventually the daughter recognizes that her mother is manipulative and has caused most of her life's grief. She does some soul searching and tries to get an answer to why her mom committed the murder. And sometimes the answer is because they are a bad person. Mm. Yeah, I've I've heard good things about the book and the movie was like, this is pretty good. And yeah, the performances are strong. It's definitely interesting to see Michelle Pfeiffer as not good. <laughs> like even when it's like when anytime she's villainous, just like silly villain, mm. you know, cat woman villain, kind of villainous. But it's like, no, she is pretty scary, honestly, but like in a recognizable like, oh, yeah, that's the cousin I don't want to ever talk to again. Oh, fuck, she's here. Oh, God, let me just go hide outside now kind of way. But yeah, White Oleander, good as a, you know, melodrama. Right. Everyone's good in it. And then we have Pruitt, Taylor Vince, Dakota Fanning, Kevin Bacon, Seward Townsend, and Courtney Love and Charlie's Throne and Trapped. Another one of like, who's in this again? (laughs) What? A couple kidnaps this other couple's kid and is holding it for ransom. And we're trying to escape and get the kid back and try to get the ransom money or try to like work on the kidnappers to make them stop being evil. I guess it's kind of an early turn of Kevin Bacon being sort of sinister, mm. which turns out he's super good at. Oh yeah. And like kind of the most notable thing about it is this where Charlize Theron and uh, Stuart Townsend got together, which worked out for him really well. Now, every time there's a clip of her winning an Oscar, he's sitting there. <laughs> That's kind of all I have to say about it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Felt like all the actors were overqualified for the material. I I more want to hear from you on this next movie because you no you don't. Well, <laughs> you have a better perspective on on the trajectory here, and I think this is a bittersweet one because uh, mm. I'll explain in a second. There's no sweetness. Well, look, it's just bitter. I'll tell you. We'll I'll play the trailer, and we'll t- I'll talk more about it in a second. Peter Stormare, Richie Coster, Debbie Mazar, Jason Isaacs, Jennifer Love Hewitt, and Jackie Chan in the tuxedo. Jackie Chan can do almost anything. How? But when he puts on a $2 billion tux... Tactical uniform experiment. He can do everything. Enjoy the show. You killed James Brown. Jackie Chan. Hey, pal, my suit. Jennifer Love Hewitt. Ah! The Tuxedo. Rated PG-13. Jackie Chan, I'm just saying, there are few people I am would be happy to make a millionaire over and over again. Jackie Chan, make your money. And as his, as he was getting older, he got to do some big Hollywood movie and make some big Hollywood money. And he's since, you know, pretty open about like not liking those productions. But this is sort of, I think, the beginning of the end of the Chanissance because mm. I looked up his Rotten Tomato meter. Everything he makes after this is kind of, downhill jackie chan fans aren't pleased critics don't like it it doesn't allow him to do what he does best that's what i was gonna say it's not a jackie chan movie as we know it because Mm -hmm. okay at the end of most jackie chan films Mm -hmm. in the credits there's some hilarious and like freak you out outtakes where you're like oh my god how did they survive that stunt Mm -hmm. at the end of this one there is mucked up dialogue I think there's a story of him being frustrated by not being able to do more than one take on stuff where there's serious stunts because there's, you know, Hollywood insurance and unions on the line. And it's understandable. And I I love hearing him talk about the difference between Hong Kong film, the stuff he makes with his crew and the stuff he got big paychecks for. But everything after this, and he's still making Hong Kong films simultaneously, but they, you know, his his popularity. Yeah. 
the guy's 48 at this point. Totally. All right. And he has broken everything in his body yeah. twice. Mm-hmm. The point of a Jackie Chan movie is he is a special effect. Yeah. And this yeah. movie is based on special effects yeah. that aren't Jackie Chan being Jackie Chan. Yeah. And so it would have, I think the movie would have been better if you had any schlub in that part. Right. As opposed to someone that we know can do this ridiculous Rob shit. And then it would be, yes, honestly, if it were <laughs> yeah. fucking Rob Schneider uh, and then you yeah. see him doing ridiculous kung fu fighting yeah then it would be a surprise but it's jackie chan so yeah it's so even when he's doing something cool it's so underwhelming yep. because we know we can do it better we've seen him so much better yeah and I, again i think yeah. he's concurrently making hong kong movies but they're not being simultaneously distributed over here at the same time jackie chan's never stopped making movies but he can't be that guy forever and i no. I think if every three years you could you should watch two Jackie Chan movies from a thirty year period and just be like we should start a GoFundMe to make this guy a millionaire. Like I love Jackie Chan that much, so I don't I fault him for doing taking all money. right. He's doing all right, but he's a lovely man. He's just like one of the greatest movie stars like ever, in my opinion. I love Jackie Chan, and this at the time. Like, I wouldn't watch this if it played for free in the back of my eyelids while I slept. <laughs> Didn't do well critically, yep. but, like, I'm glad he got the money. I'm so happy Jackie Chan's rich for making the tuxedo. Help, probably helped fund him and his crew doing what he wanted but with some other movie I can't pronounce that never got a release over here. Well, it seems like most of his stuff that he was doing in Hong Kong at this point is he's producing, he's doing the, the action direction, which, yeah, with, with his team. do that. Yeah. Yeah, with his team. Like, mm-hmm. That, that feels like what he should do next is, yeah, go back to directing and make some completely ridiculous action masterpiece and sell it on the Jackie Chan does what he does best, except he's 68 now. And oh my God, that man's hips. Yeah. Come on. And he, but yeah, he's still acting I mean... and he's a good actor. And I would even even yeah. in his non-native language. So like. I still think he should be in more shit all the time. I stand by him on that Karate Kid remake. I think he's wonderful in that. Yeah, and I would yeah love to he see was him great in that. Yeah. yeah, not the tuxedo, though. Not the tuxedo. And again, like it, re- the medallion, the spy next door, another rush hour. Because even the rush hours, you know, had some Chan stuff in there and like uh, serviced him well. And yeah, again, he can't do this forever, you know? It's like a living special effect Jackie Chan. I think this is kind of the beginning of the end for him, from what I like that he... And then now mm-hmm. on to... a. a, a just a monumental blockbuster, like just cost nothing, made millions that we don't refer to as like one of the highest making movies, money making movies of all time, solidifying its stars, one of the biggest movie stars, the most bankable movie stars we've ever had. Dakota Fanning, Mary Lynn Ricegab, Gordon Gaines, uh, Melanie Linsky, Ethan Embry, Gene Smart, Fred Ward, Mary Kay Place, Car- Candace Ber- Bergen, Patrick uh, Dempsey, Josh Lucas, and Reese with her spoon. It's number one at the box office. It's Sweet Home Alabama. Oh, my God. Melanie Carmichael is getting married. Will you marry me? Yes. 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 But there's only one thing standing in her way. Would you mind if we just kept this to ourselves for a few days? Her husband. How can I help you? You Get down here and give me a divorce. This February. You and I are in love with the same girl. First love gets a second chance. I'm happy in New York. But then I come down here and spits too. Reese Witherspoon, Sweet Home Alabama. Own it on DVD with a bonus alternate ending February. (laughs) An alternate ending where she doesn't get the guy. That would have been pretty cool. She doesn't get any guys because she lies. She Mm. lies. She lies. Uh, So I think, I mean, this is still a popular movie with people. People, when you think Reese Witherspoon... Romantic comedy, this tends to be what people think. Right. Um, Because it plays to a lot of her strengths. Mm -hmm. And it also feels extremely familiar because it's like 
every Hallmark movie. Hallmark movie. <laughs> yes. Especially if it's set at Christmas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hard charge New York lady goes back to her small town. There's her first love. It turns out it's okay. Maybe he's got a precocious kid, you know, and she realizes like, you know, what I was looking for was right there in front of me the whole right, time. Right. Uh, yeah. Except yeah. in this so, one, she doesn't realize, oh, you were right there in front of me the whole time until we find out, oh, he he has money. He's not just poor white trash now. So now he's acceptable. <laughs> he's not he's not just a dick with a five o'clock shadow. Uh, oh, no. He's a talented artist who has a bunch of money. Therefore, he is back on the table as an option. But yeah, yeah. So she's playing someone who kept her marriage a secret. Have any of you ever dated someone and then they revealed they were married? Oh, yeah. I'm single and 40, 42. Yeah. What do you think? One day, yeah. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. I, I had that happen. And the person I was dating actually had a reason. She married a person to get him citizenship. Oh. So it's like the total, like... Oh, me too. Like, yeah. Oh, really? Wow. <laughs> the person yeah. I was dating had a reason. Um, she was uh, the successor in the House Targaryen. And oh. uh, yeah, dad set it up. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, nice. But it's a weird feeling for me. Mm. Like when, when... So you're married. Well, technically, yeah... I get yeah. that it's technically, mm-hmm. but you're I, still married. You see, and I didn't really believe what he was like, oh, no, it's just a green card thing. And I was like, I'm going to have to hear that from her. Yeah. Oh, she, no, I can't talk to her. Well, we're done here. No, absolutely not. Yeah. The person <laughs> Sounds like I was... you're trying to cheat with me. The person I was dating, so she got him a green card and then he went back to France. So he was somewhere mm. in France and she hadn't seen him in years. Oh. So. And still married. Yeah. I, I don't. Do you know how many formerly married women I've had to go on dates with? Jesus Christ, you guys! Not formally married, currently married. Oh, currently, there's a big well, difference. Wait, but d- yeah. that that too. Okay. There's there's plenty of room for that in a poly friendly world. Yeah. Sorry. How do we get here, sweet home? <laughs> right. So I mean, she's she's lying that yeah you know, she got teen married. Mm-hmm. She's lying to everyone that she's. You know, she's basically she's lying that she's a fancy person who grew up on like a plantation house in the South as opposed to, you know, just being like an average regular person. Like Mm -hmm. she's so fucking snooty because she's also trying to marry the mayor of New York's son who's being groomed for fancy political office. And it's Patrick Dempsey and I don't blame him. So (laughs) don't lie because then everything's going to wackily come out. I, I feel like that kind of like those kind of roots make everybody with them more interesting. Because, you know, yeah. we lived in a cosmopolitan city and like the more rural area and stories you have to tell to come from, like tells a better story of your character. This it's, is fucking America. We love bootstrap stories for real, more like, than anything. Why would you lie about that? I just don't get it. Exactly. I, I was born a poor white trash. Yes. I worked really hard. I went to Harvard and now I'm here. People love that story so much more than fancy people stories of well i was already born on third base and um, now i'm here my silver spoon was the biggest uh like i just don't understand what we're bragging like, about yeah, here i know it's stupid i i was expecting just because this is so like this is the reese witherspoon that we come to love it's like i was expecting better more like there that there would be something that would put this above the pack of rom-coms and instead i was just like i, I hate you but i i i think this is because it's part of why I love this show. Like last year when like I was cajoled, like you got to watch Legally Blonde, Sarah yeah. put on me and like, yeah. this was fucking good. And it was elevated by Reese Witherspoon, who at this point is this just adorable, amazing actress choosing really weird film roles and 
good on her for, but this is like, I think after that, it's like, no, she is a movie star and can move butts in seats in a way that very few human, singular human beings can. And she mm-hmm. did it. She did it with this movie that is kind of unremarkable, but with a lot of ladies, let's say, is a cla- is a bona fide classic. And mm-hmm. I don't know the trajectory of Hallmark films, but it, I tried to, I'm talking to a woman. She loves this movie. I tried to give it a go. It, did, it didn't do the Legally Blonde thing for me. It didn't rise above what I thought it was going to be and didn't end up finishing it. Because, you know, I'm not here to pan movies that people like. And it, I, I do like the idea of, I think, Reese Witherspoon is deserving of being a movie star. And, I, uh, I yeah, people should have movies they find lovely. And, and at $30 million to $180 million domestic. That's crazy. Yeah. That is, that is what blockbusters do around this point to make up $200 million, but on a romantic comedy budget shot in Alabama, that's solely based on Reese Witherspoon. You know, like uh, this is a a huge success and I think she deserves a ton of credit for it. Uh, But I don't know, Diana, your rom-coms are not Diana's thing. If you're a new listener and, but no, that's the truth. But, but I, I try to give them a chance and sometimes they surprise. I'm the same way with legally blonde. I I really, really enjoyed it, Mm -hmm. but you weren't disgusted by this. Uh, no, I wouldn't say disgusted and insulted. Right. But... I do love those reactions from Diana, by the way. That's the only yeah, reason I lean into her. rom-coms, absolutely. Like, I I feel personally insulted <laughs> yes, by them yes. as a woman and a human being. <laughs> and this one was just sort of like, oh, uh, I would just, be, because of its status in this sort of rom-com pantheon, I was expecting so much better. And it, like, this whole supporting cast is great. Those are all ridiculously talented people. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to see Gene Smart and Candace Bergen and all, all these, sure. Whatever. Yeah. I just I want I want it a little elevated. I want it to have a little more of a point of view. Mm-hmm. Besides, like the South is good. I don't know what the point <laughs> was supposed to be. There are no problems in Alabama. M- marry your first boyfriend? No, that's not a good <laughs> message. What What are we doing here? Yeah, don't be a materialistic bitch. Okay, but like I said, it's only when she realizes he has money. Yeah. The hometown guy that's to become an actual it's prospect. Only as when opposed she... to, what if he just works at the sawmill but is a good person? Right. What about that? What if he looks good chopping wood in the backyard in overalls? And I'm going to date him because he can. He has access to all the illegal fireworks and vaccines. Sorry, that is the perspective of Floridian of Alabama. They have no fireworks restrictions and nobody wants their vaccines. So bigger cities in Florida are driving up to Alabama to take them because they are going to wait. Alabama, no problems. Uh, mm-hmm. Roll tag. Yeah, kind of like we said last week, we we're coming in 49th is moving up in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Can we move on to television? We good? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, American Dreams debuts this week. Wow, is this a buried memory in my head? Yeah, because this isn't the Hugh Grant American Idol movie. No, this is uh, 60s The TV Show. That's what, man. But... We're leaning on the music part because Dick Clark is involved. Mm-hmm. So it's about someone living in Philly back then. They filmed American Bandstand there. And one of the big hooks that they would sell it on, this is the part that like tickled my brain that reminded me, is that they would have like pretty big music stars of today pretending to be the music stars of then on American Bandstand. So they had like Usher as Marvin Gaye. Yes. Th- yes. Okay. That... Cool. This is the the show I read about every week and never watched. But it was like... You really felt like 
Mom, Dad, if you weren't watching this, then it's kind of a waste of airtime, and they weren't, and I don't think it lasts very long, because it looks very expensive. It goes three seasons. It goes three seasons. All right. All right. Yeah. Sand which corrected. is not bad with, you know, uh, Brandy as Gladys Knight. Okay. I wonder. That's cool. Any... Nick Lachey as Tom Jones. Oh, Chris Isaac as Roy Orbison. Oh, but only doing Pretty Woman. I was expecting something with a, yeah. with a falsetto, because... Roy Arbison's really, really hard to sing. Yes. For men. And Hillary Duff singing Leader of the Pack. Oh, that's room, fun. Room. Yeah, so it sounds like I can look this shit up on YouTube and ignore the actual show because yep. it's about like, times are changing, man. Don't you understand? It's okay that they're busing black kids to my school now. What's Vietnam? <laughs> and, and, and I don't want to call it stunt casting and be cynical, but that is kind of a neat way to bridge old and young get the parents watching with their kids favorite characters playing their parents favorite artists that's not a bad idea it really isn't it's kind of cool yeah i think that's fun and and but um what i'm really curious about dvd you can still get on dvd i'm gonna guess this is like right before the streaming era and i wonder if this is hard to license because it was it really really uh uh put itself put its music face front here uh the music aspect of it and i don't i guess well if they're performing the song originally they're not using the original recording mm-hmm. that would be easier yes the ancillaries i believe we call yeah. Them. uh yeah i don't see it streaming on peacock no yeah i don't know if you could even revisit that anyway we also the debut of boomtown, boomtown. Oh, this poor so, show this should be remade okay yeah. i always say bad movies should be remade yeah. television shows that were before their time should also be remade this is portraying a criminal investigation but each week you see it from a different point of view. The police officers, the lawyers, the paramedics, the reporters, the victims, the mm-hmm. witnesses, the criminals. That's a great idea. Totally. Give yeah. me that in a streaming well, show with high quality budget. Get the Rashomon effect in full force. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind it. of where the wire excels. Telling us a big story with small pieces from mm. numerous aspects of what the story affects, but like not as deliberate as this show sounded where like every episode you're going to see a different point of view. You're right. It's, it sounds incredibly interesting. It's, it's like everything I love about the wire as a whole, because the last season covers how the press changes what's happening in the streets. Yeah. Good idea. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, start uh, Donnie Wahlberg, Neil McDonough, McKelty Williamson 20. already like, uh, dang made it two seasons and yeah even the creator was like we should not have been on nbc if we had been on like fx or hbo yeah then we, we it really would have gone better for us actually like yeah you're right at the time we literally have the wire and the shield on those two networks right now mm-hmm. that's yes that's where they should have been it also its biggest fault was not being <laughs> was an overblown who yeah from uh, the opening of CSI Miami, which debuts this week. and In a world full of nasty crimes, only one man can ensure that the women of Miami continue to be able to wear bikinis and sunbathe without corpses watching the shore. That man wears sunglasses. Yeah! <laughs> Airboat. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. listeners, if you're feeling deja vu, we just talked about the end of the show. Yeah. Okay. That's that's how 302010 works. It's this show lasted 10 years yeah, almost. Yeah. 10. So the end of the show lines up very closely <laughs> to the beginning of the show. Another one of those weird things I I don't think like Law and Order where like the second spin-off totally dominates the original and hmm. CSI Miami spends a ton of time in the number 1 slot 
on television during this period. Yeah, which I I don't understand because I've I tried I watched a bunch of original recipe CSI mm -hmm. like when it started, and then I watched some New York and some Miami, mm -hmm. and I didn't understand the appeal because I think part of the reason I like CSI original recipe is because it takes place in Vegas where yeah. there is a massive transient turnover mm -hmm. every week. It's going to be something. It could be something completely insane. It really could just be like someone died at the clown convention. And you're like, obviously the clown convention because it's Vegas and they have conventions there. And for Miami and New York is just sort of like, well, I've seen this because I've seen other crime shows at Miami True. and New York. And I, I like, I'll never forget, like we started working for a British company. I had the luxury of being a Floridian with family in Miami. So I'm there every three months for sometimes up to two weeks. I don't glamorize Miami at all. But when I talk to people who were like raised in London, like what the fuck is Miami? It's a beautiful, weird, does it even exist? I'm like, oh yeah, I guess it is like pretty foreign as far as American cities go. Yep. Very weird stucco yep. <laughs> Palm yeah, tree. Oh, the art, art deco and the beach and the, the mix of people. Mm -hmm. It's a mutant offshoot of the Caribbean. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah As built by the mob um, <laughs> and corporatized <laughs> to hell. It's very strange, even though I've had a ton of experience with it. Also this week, half and half debuts. Is this going to be another racial thing like Rhythm and Blues? Finally, the coffee additive gets <laughs> its due. Four seasons that says here the second most viewed show, uh, television show <gasps> on the UPN. So not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Big asterisk there. Big yeah. asterisk. On the uh, UPN. Parapaternal half sisters are different from each other. What? And now as adults, they have to negotiate their relationships. Aww. Me, Patty, who's been most everywhere. Sends a bar to Square. Meets damn near syndication numbers and is rerunning on BET and Bounce TV as we speak. Up next, we have uh, more nostalgia with That Was Then debuting this week. <laughs> so this is yet another a guy going back in time. This time... We just had one. I, I know we just had one. I don't control <laughs> these things. They uh, never work. Why do they do this? I don't know what was in the air at the time. I don't know why two separate networks were like, we need to give people a chance to relive their childhoods better, but it never works. And the problem was, I, I actually recall having conversations with this concept back in 2002. I was part of a alternate history discussion news group. And so we had a lot of talks about, wow, there's these shows about going back in time. What if you went into your 14 year old body? And there was a big divide because some of us were parents and some of us weren't. And all the parents said that would be a god awful nightmare. I just deleted my children from existing. Mm. And all the people without kids, still largely single, were like, oh, that'd be awesome. And if I was 14, I could invent the Internet and I would do all sorts of cool stuff. And this show has the protagonist have a family, have kids. He goes back in time to his 14 year old self. And at the end of the episode, after he changes his freshman year of high school, he's deleted his kids. Cool. He is now with a wife he doesn't really know with kids he has no idea of. And the opposite that, of Back to the Future. That's dark. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, oh, my God. It only lasted two episodes. I was unable to find anything <laughs> else about this. But I really wonder where they would have gone with that. And then, man, one of those, like, you know, you feel like you're pretty pop culture savvy. And then you get something like this without a trace debuts this week. And this might be one of the more famous things 
I know absolutely nothing about. Like, didn't even look it up for the show because I assume if you like whatever this is, you know what it is. You don't need to hear what I have to say about it because I'm not watching it. There, there are so many CBS procedurals that yeah. I don't know the titles of. I just know who the star is. Right. And I always like, is this the Mantegna one? No, this no, is the that's... Anthony LaPaglia one. Okay, Anthony LaPaglia, <laughs> Marianne Jean-Baptiste. I always wondered, what the fuck ever happened to Marianne Jean-Baptiste? Who's a wonderful actress in the movie Sequence of the Lies. And then, because uh, she got a really good TV gig, so she didn't yeah. need to work ever again. Yeah, you know, they're, they're investigating disappearances. Sometimes right. they're murders. Right. Whatever. And, uh, it runs like, what, like eight years? It runs forever. It runs for seven seasons and is consistently in the top 20 of scripted dramas and then here we are the pop culture experts like you tell us I guess it exists. <laughs> you tell us what this is how good it is won an emmy for rock charles s dutton uh is a guest performance but we're far more experts in the thing i you thought you thought csi miami lined up well after being on the air for 10 years nbc saturday morning block tnbc Teen NBC airs uh, for the final time, almost a, a yeah, year, a ten years of the day. Thing. I already said that it got rid of my car- Saturday morning cartoons, and mm-hmm. you know what it gave us? I'm gonna give you a preview <sighs> of all the wonderful entertainment that we're oh. gonna get from TNBC over the next years that we haven't already talked about. Brains and Brawn, 1993, Running the Halls, 93, Saved by the Bell, The New Class, 93, Hang Time, 1995, City Guys, 97, One World, 98, Just Deal, 2000, Skate, SK number 8, 2001. So, yeah, that's what we gave up cartoons for. Yeah, yeah, kind of a bummer. But what I really want to talk to you about, JR, because... I hadn't heard this until you put this in the notes. The Sopranos episode, third episode of the fourth season? Yes. Christopher, not a reference to Moltisanti, but rather Columbus, and you write it's considered one of the worst episodes of The Sopranos. Yes, and I stand by that. This is not a good episode, you know? Even masterpieces have some problems with them, and this is no exception. The always entertaining Sonia Ballantyne was on uh, Talking Terrific Television on the episode we talked about this episode, and (sighs) it has a lot of structural problems. The biggest one of which is they go for the Poochie method of screenwriting. Anytime Christopher Columbus is not on the screen, people should be asking, (laughs) where's Christopher Columbus? What is Christopher Columbus up to? Uh, And it just dominates this episode in a way that's unrealistic and cheesy. And everyone is just way too try hard and just not Sopranos. This is not what we go to the Sopranos for. It's definitely Mm. odd, but I, one of the reasons I appreciate it is because I was kind of aware at the time, more aware now after several Sopranos rewatches, these were always really bad people for a lot of reasons. And mostly like, yes, they would be, all out MAGA if the show existed today and have never been interested in a cause of any kind until their precious Columbus Day Parade. He's one of us. We got to protect them. Like no cause ever has interested them until they don't get the parade. Now they want to thump skulls over fucking Christopher Columbus. Who gives a shit? Even I think in real life, like at the same time, there was like a court order that the Sopranos cast members couldn't appear in the Columbus Day Parade because of... Yes, because it was offensive to 
Italian American, which is how my grandfather felt about stuff like this. Very Italian grandfather didn't like depictions of the mafia. Didn't like the way it portrayed Italians. And the person who barred the cast of Sopranos from appearing in the Christopher Columbus parade was later convicted of fraud. No, and ah. so you just gotta love. It. Mm. But yeah, you consider this one of the worst episodes. I guess it, like I do. I, to me, the fourth season has the most lulls in it, but has some mm. really great crescendos. Ralphie being just one of the more amazing participants oh, of that season. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it, it, but... I, I, I do find it funny that the Native Americans are shocked to find out about Iron Eyes Cody and act like See, it's an actual That was problem. so funny. It's so dumb, but so funny. Other part of bad script writing in this episode. It was just like, they should have been like, yeah, of course we know that. It's 2002. We have the internet. No one cares. I guess that is still kind of an unflattering portrayal of Native Americans that they don't know that. But yeah, I thought it was kind of funny. They eventually find out. And I could see one guy being like, yeah, I don't follow the arts, you know? Right. It's a fucking TV commercial from 25, 30 years ago. Who gives a shit? uh, Well, I, again, can't recommend that series enough despite shooting in one of its episodes. Sopranos (laughs) on HBO next for now. (laughs) They'll never lose that, right? God damn it. I don't even want to think about it. 2002 games, September 23rd to the 29th. Big one here, uh, Tekken 4 on PS2. After a trilogy of Tekkens on PS1 and Tekken Tag Tournament as a launch game, we get the next edition of Tekken in... Probably it's out in arcades, but on PS2. And I know my my uh, fighting yeah. game fans are, uh, are, that's a big, big deal. And I couldn't tell yeah. you why. And So I w- have never been a fighting game guy except for Street Fighter 2. That's the only mm-hmm. thing I ever got into. And occasionally I tried to branch out. When I was living in Japan, this came out and I was like, I'm going to get it. I only have so many games I can play in Japan without being able to read anything. I'm pretty sure on a Mm -hmm. fighting game without having to read Japanese very well. And nope, didn't didn't wow me, didn't stick with me, didn't impress me. I've always applauded Tekken for having more modes and endings for you can play through. A lot of offline single player stuff you can do in a fighting game and a lot of fighting games don't do that in uh Tekken usually does. That's why I always kind of sample it a little bit. Can't wait for Tekken 8. But yeah, we're halfway through the Tekken mainline series as of this point. They announced Tekken 8 <laughs> last week. Summoner 2 out on PS2. This is funny just because Vigigam Apocalypse in uh, light of the Rings of Power coming to Amazon, we talked about Lord of the Rings games and how good some of those EA ones were licensed off the Peter Jackson movies. This is not that <laughs> confusingly. No, this, this is not the one that people love. Uh, this is... Based on the books, not based upon the movie. There were two, Diana, there were two. I was going to say, this is really good timing if it's for the movie, because we got that, you know, we're ramping up to that in December for Two Towers, and everyone's super excited. So releasing a game around September is wonderful, and this isn't that. The odd story is the Lord of the Rings phenomenon it wasn't a guaranteed thing. So like they didn't no. have a game in development at the time. And then it turns out to be a huge phenomenon. It's too late to make a game to coincide with Fellowship of the Ring with your Peter Jackson characters. So EA makes Lord of the Rings, the two towers for this year, which contains the content of Fellowship. But like, you know, you got to call it the movie. You're 
basing this on contains the whole cast. And then there was also a separate license for Tolkien's books for numerous games to make everything confusing. So instead of having a Fellowship of the Ring game come out during the Two Towers, they release it a little early, and it has nothing to do with the films. Not the quality of the EA, which are surprisingly good. I don't know. What do you think, JR? You know more about this. I I tried to play this Mm -hmm. because I love walking around the Shire. I've played Lord of the Rings online numerous times, and then quit as soon as I'm done with all the Shire quest. And I was like, well, maybe I'll get a little Shire fun in this, and it's too clunky, it's too annoying, it's it's not a good game. And speaking of the most confusing titles in video game history, we God have damn it. Super Mario <laughs> Advance 3, Yoshi's Island, otherwise known as Super Mario 4, Super 2, Mario Super Mario 5, Super Mario, Mario 5, Mario 5, Super it's Mario World... Super Mario World 2 or Super Mario 5. These are... But it's Super Mario Advance 3, Yoshi's Island. This is the third edition of the phenomenal portable remakes of classic Mario games. Super Mario Advance 1 is Super Mario 2. Super Mario Advance 2 is Super Mario 3. It's not that hard to wrap your head around, but these games are phenomenal, and they're some of the the best ports, like kind of really well-made ports of these games that I'd like to see... like. Nintendo to give us access somehow. And since they've announced their slate of online games for like 2023, it doesn't seem likely in this half a century we ever will. (laughs) But it's always nefarious uh, means. The craziest person I ever dated loved this game. Oh, it's great. Like she played it over and over and over again. Like she'd just finish it and then 100% it and then immediately start it right over. I have 100%ed the... Super Nintendo game. I came close with the DS version of the game, which is a little better than this. I don't have a ton of experience with the Game Boy Advance version, but just pointing out that it exists this week, and it's great. Find it if you can, Mario fans. And then lastly, Superman. Shadow of Acropolis is out on PS2, and as we know, all Superman games are great. So <laughs> this is the Superman game Superman 64 wanted to be. Yeah. It actually oh, do you feels... Fly, do you fly through hoops? Are there no, hoops? No, no, there are not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's so all I know about Superman. That's, that's great. That's great. But this is based on the animated series, and oh, cool. it is cell shaded. Okay, nice. go back in time. Tell every 3D game developer from 1998 to 2008 make it cell shaded. Okay, that was the way to go with that technology. But it's it's not a great Superman game, but it's a decent one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it just it just sucks that Superman's so overpowered. There's like not a real video, great video game experience way to contain him. And when he appears in Mr. ensemble Mixoplex. stuff, he's got to be nerfed. Yeah. No, put him up against Mr. Mixoplex. I mean, that's your main bad guy. He, Mr. Mm. Mixoplex, is more powerful than Superman. He's in the 06 version and gives him a lot of fun stuff to do. But that's in 2002. Let's close out with "Complicated" by Avril Lavigne. It's on the charts this week. Stay right there. We got one more segment to go. And it's a doozy, 2012. Don't go anywhere.
Hello, Mr. and Mrs. Internet and all the ships at sea. It's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watch. And for the week of September 23rd through 29th, we got oh, some good 50th anniversaries to talk about this week. Let's start with all these from 1972. Obviously, let's talk about Sounder, directed by Martin Ritt, starring Cecily Tyson, Paul Winfield, little Kevin Hooks. A good movie. It, it's so funny because we're like in the 70s, we're right getting into the, the, the black exploitation time and like sneaking in there is this like really nice family period drama about sharecroppers in the deep south and what they got to deal with during the great depression it's made for like the teeniest budget but it like became just like this critical darling it's in the national film registry now and i was like uh when i went around to watch it finally because i'm trying to watch every movie that's nominated for best picture i was like this is gonna be a message picture right and it totally isn't it's just a really nice family drama about the great depression plus you're black and so things are like doubly stacked against you but this family's coming together and it's just it's a real sweet movie everyone's really good at paul winfield is especially just wonderful tosh mahal did the soundtrack which is really good it's beautiful to look at i don't know where they filmed it which just it's just a lot of a lot of open fields a lot of open fields so sounder total recommend 1972 and also from 72 from somewhere the other side of the planet uh, Andrei Tarkovsky's Solaris came out, a Soviet science fiction film, which is really, really interesting. I mean, they rebate it with George Clooney a couple of years ago, so if you've seen that one, uh, you should totally watch the original, because honestly, sci-fi nerds, you need to start digging into vintage European sci-fi, because they do a lot with a little. This movie cost like 800000 US back then, and it's like... How? How did you build sets like this? How did you, like, get this atmosphere? Because it's about this guy goes to a space station that's got, like, a skeleton crew and something weird's going on. And, like, the psychologist has to go up there and figure out what's going on. And then spooky things. So it's it's kind of like Alien without the alien in it, if that makes any sense. Very influential. I would not be surprised if it influenced Alien significantly. And, yeah, Eastern Bloc uh, sci-fi. Eastern Bloc just genre pictures I always like because it's like what does a communist musical look like well they made them and they're interesting so yeah Solaris good place to start with European slash Eastern Bloc vintage sci-fi and then just for goofiness sake Dracula AD 1972 again coming out 1972 towards the end of the run of the Christopher Lee Dracula movies with Peter Cushing and he's he's one of my favorite Draculas and we're gonna talk about Dracula in a couple minutes so hold on for that but this is the point where it's like they made a whole bunch of them and they're like what else can we do with Dracula uh modern day now it's in the modern day and it's gonna be about like people who are kind of like a cult around Dracula and I wonder if this Johnny Alucard figure knows anything about it hmm Christopher Lee I mean if you're a Star Wars fan and you haven't dug into Watching Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing in these Dracula movies, you're missing out because Lee in particular, he was such a good Dracula because he's so tall and so physically imposing. He's got that voice. And you're like, oh, I get it. Okay. Yeah, sure. No, I will taste the blood of Dracula. That's a great idea. So, yeah, those are my recommendations. They're kind of all over the place. But 50 years ago, was uh, it's an interesting time. And that's it for this week. Stay classic. And I hope to die Then I'll only stay with you one more night And I know I said it a million times But I'll only stay with you one more night Try to tell you no Coming to 
ended in 2012 with One More Night by Maroon 5. It is number one this week. Oh, Adam Levine having woman problems. We're so topical. Welcome to 10 years ago, 2012, September 23rd to the 29th. Other new music releases include Awakened by As I Lay Dying, Food and Liquor 2, uh, The Great American Rap Album Part 1 by Loopy Fiasco, The Second Law by Muse, Maybe Today, Maybe Tomorrow by We Are the Ocean, Close the Distance by Go Radio, and The Sound of Life and Mind by Ben Folds 5. That is all out 10 years ago. Little bit of news to bring you into the world of 2012. Two opposition Venezuelan politicians are shot dead a week before the presidential election. Jesus. Yeah, this was <laughs> one of those things where it was just like, you, you, you're not even really trying to hide this, are you? You're just, okay, all right. And, and then they're the ones whose ghosts would go on to compromise Dominion voting systems, right? Yeah. No, no I thought kidding. that was Hugo That's Chavez himself, yes. even though he, he was dead at the time. Yeah. Yes, yes, and yes, yes. Venezuela it has an awful lot of major problems, and that's why we're getting Venezuelan refugees right now that we're shipping off to places slash kidnapping. Yeah, it was Hugo Chavez who, of course, killed them. Yes. But yeah. Yeah. Um, and personally? I mean, if he did it no, personally, personally, I kind of no. respect because he was a big yeah. guy. I think it'd be hard to sneak up on people. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, he has one more year until he dies, but he's going out swinging. <sighs> and uh, lighter news, movies of 2012. Uh, September 23rd to the 29th. Uh, we got the... <laughs> fuck is this Allison Janney Oliver Platt Ali Sockett uh, Adam Brody Catherine Keener Leighton Meester Meester Hugh Laurie and the Oranges the Oranges yeah, this, the Oranges got held from 2011 mm. and I'm not sure why except that it was very very indie and it's kind of it's not uncomfortable because the people are all of age let's start with that so mm. it's like let's take American Beauty but everyone is over 20 mm. but it's a, li- a little bit of that in that like there's you know a couple and they got a daughter and the neighbors are a couple and they have a daughter and then Hugh Laurie the dad is interested in the daughter and everyone's lives explode and more split reviews on this and I apologize didn't did not get time to watch it where some people thought like this was by the numbers and some people thought like even if it is the performance is totally elevated and some thought it was like a great black comedy so uh, yeah, I feel bad I didn't get around to it because uh, especially the, the cast. I love all these people. They're mm-hmm. awesome. So right. put it in the comments. Let us know or on Twitter something. How is the oranges? Do you recommend? Same could be said for these uh, this Avengers assembly of uh, lady actors that I like. Yeah. Uh, Rosie Perez, not Ving Rhames, but he's there. Holly Hunter, Maggie Gyllenhaal, and Viola Davis, the woman king. God, I want to see that. Uh, and won't back down. Won't back down. We're um, going to save our schools, y'all. Yes. Lady Lean On Um, Me. (laughs) Lady Lean On Me. Every review I read said, you should just go watch the documentary Waiting for Superman from like a year and a half before. Mm -hmm. Even though these are wonderful actresses and they they give a good game, that was a better movie. Yeah. Like, oh, that's a bummer. I hate when that, that happens, when there's just like a really good documentary that's like, but why why would I watch the fictionalized version? Right, right. Yeah, fair enough. There's so many details you lose in the private lives of these people that are Kind of more interesting what they did in a narrative film. Um, but, man, the next movie? Yeah, let's just I get to the next movie. I didn't yeah. see until very late and just really solidified the directors. One of my favorite directors working today. Piper Parabu, Jeff Daniels, uh, Noah Sagan, Paul Dano, Emily Blunt, Bruce Willis, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt in Looper. 30 years from now, the mob will control time travel. My job is to eliminate targets sent here from the future. Even if the target is me. On September 28th, you let him run free. I'm gonna fix this! I'm gonna find it! You can't escape. 
I'm gonna take everything you got! Your future. This is my life now. You've had yours already. So why don't you do what old men do and die? Looper. This movie is just like wonderful, wonderful side. I love it. Love you it. Know, I, yeah. I'm just surprised where Ryan Johnson has gone because I feel like this is a movie positioning him as like, I can be Christopher Nolan if you want. Yeah. And I think that's where Star Wars should have taken him. And he was supposed, mm-hmm. like, before Last Jedi came out and people were fucking idiots about seeing the old Luke Skywalker do things that made them sad. He was poised to do a whole trilogy. Like no other director working on one of those uh, sequels was given that opportunity, but he was and knives out phenomenal. And he gets star Wars off of this because before this, he did brothers bloom, which was kind of a disappointment and and brick before that. Mm -hmm. And then he just started kicking so much ass on breaking bad. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then they saw the script and was like, well, shit, let's, yeah, let's give him another run it's, at it. Okay. It's one of those things I love to think about as a sci-fi nerd, technology we don't have, transporters, time travel. How would that unfold and how would it not be immediately used for evil on a corporate or <laughs> or crime syndicate level? Of course yeah. it would. Of yeah. course it would. It's such a great idea of like, no body, no crime. If I send this dead body to the past, or if I send this guy to the past and they shoot him there, Mm -hmm. did I actually kill him? I didn't do anything. What are you talking about? Literally a Terminator concept grounded in the reality of greed and capitalism. (laughs) Yeah, the, the premise is that in the future of 2074, tracking is so ever present that you just can't kill someone if you kill someone they're tracked but if they're in the past then that tracking doesn't work but none of that really matters this Mm. is a time travel movie that's not about time travel there's Mm. a scene when the character directly tells that bruce willis says i'm not going to get into time travel shit because then we'd be making diagrams with straws and that's just the movie telling you, don't think too much about the time travel. Yeah. What this is, it is fundamentally a character study. It is a question of how do we deal with the people we become? You know, hmm. every old man was once a young man. What do the young people think of their uh, older self? What do the older people think of their younger selves? So it's really an examination of Joseph Gordon Levitt's character deciding I don't want to be this guy. Yeah. I don't. Fuck this and, guy. And, uh, yeah. Fuck this guy. Mm-hmm. And there's a moment in the film when he tells the old guy, well, look, you're doing all this to save your wife. So show me a picture of her. I'll stay the fuck away from her. <laughs> She'll never die. And he doesn't want to do that either because he wants his own identity. He wants his relationship with his wife. He doesn't just want his life to keep on living without him. He wants to fix everything because that's his past. But. If you start thinking about the time travel too much, old Joe never met young Joe. So therefore, young Joe is not old Joe. But now let's start making uh, diagrams with straws at the restaurant. And that's what this movie doesn't want you to do. It just wants you to think about the relationship of these people. Yes. And, and, And a really, I think, wonderfully understated makeup job on JGL to make him look more like Bruce Willis. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. I think I could have done without it. I feel probably like I, it I wasn't necessary. Just, I can just believe it. I found it a little bit distracting sometimes, but that they make it, it's, it is pretty low key. Mm-hmm. You know, they just square his jaw a bit. Yeah. I just, I, I got to wonder, like, was there potential to do things within this universe before? No, this was a one and done. You think so? No, I, I, I it ends with 
spoiler, spoiler. This is a genuine spoiler. It ends with Joseph Gordon-Levitt killing, killing himself. <laughs> so, yeah, that ends it. That's the loop. The loop is closed. Mm -hmm. There is no sequel room in this. Yeah. But the question is whether that makes a damn bit of difference. Okay, so Levitt killed himself because he doesn't want this young kid with psychokinetic powers to become a future crime boss. Maybe he'll still become a crime boss. We don't know. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's already seen his mother died. The person in this movie is not his mother. That's his stepmother. I mean, he's already got all sorts of traumatic shit. And he has to deal with having godlike powers at the age of, what, three or four? Yeah. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know that his future is going to be that great. Yeah. yeah. I, I do think they could there are more stories to tell in this universe. That's yes. That, that would have been interesting. But I could also see people being like, no, just leave it. I mean, not with the original cast, but but that's yeah, but that's what, be a totally different cast. But that's what's happening with Knives Out. And granted, you have the Daniel Craig connective tissue, but it's like it's just another story in this universe. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I I love that about it. And I would love to see more. I would have liked. I caught this super late, by the way. I did not see it when it came out, and I and it just I I remember I was. I saw it like a couple years ago and I was pissed. Like, why don't people talk about this all the time? <laughs> like, this is a great fucking film. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it should be part of the conversation more than it is. Yeah. 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 I don't know why. I think people were just sort of like, that was okay. And it's like, no, it's worth going back and pulling it apart a bit more. It's definitely a movie that a second watch you get more and different things out of it. Yeah. And it does have a couple sequences though, that are, so indelible and so creative just yeah. the idea of i'm going to steal your younger version mm -hmm. and i'm going to cut off his finger and yeah. you, now you look and your fingers disappeared older version i'm going to carve an address into him so there is a scar now that tells you where to go on your old guy flash like oh god as pieces of this guy are disappearing in front of him jesus that was crazy was creepiest scene I've ever seen. I mm -hmm. cannot imagine because you know that means that he also had to spend the next 30 years alive after having so many parts of himself amputated that he's just this stub. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, uh, then you know, well, or is there butterfly effects of like, well, this guy didn't have any fingers on his right hand, so straws, his life would have been different. Draw straws now. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's yeah. what I, I think that was my headcanon, like, not unlike terminator but perhaps less complicated a shared universe that changes mildly or drastically depending what the outcome of the film is uh, each film is i don't know i just we're kind of at we're at the point definitely here where we wanted everything to be a franchise and i just don't understand why more mm -hmm. people it made a ton of money uh critics loved yep. it and it's really holds up i think it's fantastic and ryan johnson's become one of those directors like no 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 i can't fucking wait to see what he does next. And his, yep. his, he's only made two movies since then. Another one coming this Christmas. And you know he's married to the, uh, you must remember this gal? Mm hmm I think that's so cool. Yep. I, he I, liked like, one I, of my tweets once. I wish I was their child. <laughs> Fame. I wish I was their yeah, child. Adopt me, Karina Longworth and Ryan Johnson, please. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then moving on to the actual uh, numero uno movie at the box office this week. Look at this cast, baby. David Spade, Molly Shannon, Steve Buscemi, Fran Drescher, Kevin James, Selena Gomez, Andy Samberg, Adam Sandler. Number one at the box office, it's Hotel Transylvania. Welcome to Hotel Transylvania. There's only one hotel where monsters can really let their scare down. My mistake. What is wrong with you people? This year, pack your bags and bring the whole family. Yeah, it's a mess back there. To Hotel Transylvania. 
man, I love being wrong about stuff. <laughs> and I looked at this movie and said, Ugh, Adam Sandler, Happy Madison, Sony Animation, PU. I will mm. not go anywhere near this. And then I had no idea. It's the directorial, feature directorial mm-hmm. debut of Gendy Tartakovsky, one of the most amazing forces in animation of my lifetime. Yeah, um, definitely it, one of the most important animators of the yeah. 21st century. Yeah, yeah, d- yeah. Like uh, his TV work is beyond reproach. Everything you've loved on Cartoon Network from Dexter's Lab to Samurai Jack to that. Jerry, you seen Primal? I think Diane has seen it, right? No, I um, haven't seen Primal. It's fucking wonderful. And it's like astonishing it exists. And it's kind of an exi- I hate that this is the only kind of movie Gandhi Tartakovsky can get off the ground. Because I think the uh, Popeye movie, his canceled Popeye movie leaked a few months ago on the internet. And everyone's like, this is amazing. Like, why did you can't? It's it's only in so- storyboarded, but it's like this should have come out. He kind of gets dicked around by Hollywood, with the exception of the Hotel Transylvania. But man, I expected quadrilogy, this quadril tetralogy, mm-hmm. and with a few, mm-hmm. few specials here and there. But man, this first movie is really fun. It took a while for it to get going for me. I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I've heard good things from people whose opinions I trust. Let's give it a try. Sometimes we get lucky, and for i don't know the first third or so it's kind of like okay the idea is cute but it's a little too kids for me and then it finally once it starts to pick up mm-hmm. like oh okay that's what this movie's going to be about this actually has a bit more soul to it gotcha and then overall though it is the animation that ended up sealing the deal for me of like okay like i can live without adam sandler doing a funny voice and which i believe he's not in the latest one for some reason Right. And and the idea, the plot is basically like, no, dad, you have to let me go and make my own mistakes. Like, OK, I've seen it, seen it, seen it, seen it. But the animation style is so different yeah. mm-hmm. than anything. And I don't just mean the character designs, which are really, really good. But the way that they are actually animated to move around, it's like it's all keyframes and no in-betweens. <laughs> and let me explain that a little bit for non-animation nerds. Please don't. When you're mapping out animation they're they're called keyframes which is the major poses and motions Mm -hmm. and it's like he walks into the room and then he points and that's two drawings here's here's him with an arrow showing he's walking and then here's the pointing and then they animate the things that are in between that and in this movie it's like they don't it's just like i appear over here i appear over here Mm -hmm. i'm in front of you i'm behind you i'm over here and it's like that makes sense because they're supernatural creatures so if they just want to do that And it was just so different than like anything I'd seen before. So it's like, all right, well, yeah, you won we, me over. Were we talking? Were we talking about that? That you know, the CG style sometimes can get a little stagnant and look very samey, and like things like turning yeah. red, and even Hotel Transylvania. Like, oh, you're you're actually going back to like classical squash and stretch animation to make an animated movie again, finally, rather than just some a cartoon that looks live action. Yeah. Was, I thought it was, and, and I I love that I had to discover this through a friend's kids. She was just like, no, this is actually pretty good. <laughs> and I trusted her taste. So I watched it with the kids. I'm like, this is fucking great. Oh, my God. I cannot believe I've been a fucking curmudgeon about this for so long. And there are three of these with diminishing returns. But yeah, like this is the best one. I'm going to yeah. say that it's not that the others are god awful bad. I would say it's actually some of the best Adam Sandler product of the last 10 years. That's other than his comedic special. That's honestly what made me go back and reevaluate because I born and bred Adam Sandler fan. But remember, we talked about his that's my boy. The Andy, the previous Andy Samberg, Adam Sandler. That's one of the worst things I've ever seen in the same year. They make a pretty great movie together and and, and watching Adam Sandler's Netflix. Some of those Happy Madison Netflix movies are pretty okay. They're not 
seriously, <laughs> they are. Okay, you, give, give me which one I should watch. Not the ridiculous six, but like the wrong Missy, the do over. These they're they're not Is bad the films. Over about a guy who goes back to when he's fourteen. No, not again. No. Damn, that, that one where um that one where Chris Rock's kid is marrying Adam Sandler's kid, like that's just like a fucking relatable comedy. It's like Hubie Halloween. Watch that on Halloween. It's I thought it was okay. great, and um and, and so this made me go back and reappraise it. And it's I think Diana it might drag for you in the middle because it's kind of has to be an introduction to Universal Monsters for kids. Well, the, no, that's the weird thing is the middle is where it picks up where mm-hmm. they're they're just sort of having adventures yeah and it's really the plot that's yeah. sort of like uh yeah but yes, like there's a there's a chance no, here's, here's the thing i mean with okay. introducing universal monsters the thing i appreciate about this movie is it's taking all these things that are scary mm-hmm. and making them friendly oh, yeah, yeah. It, in a really good i could see could work really well for little kids because there's weird there's the weird little kids that like scary things and then there's other kids that really really don't and this can be like wolfman's not scary look he's funny yeah <laughs> Yeah, this mummies is what aren't scary. They're funny. Yeah, this is what they do on their their holiday. Uh, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I'm so pissed. I took so long to come around to this, and I don't want any of you to make that same mistake. I, Jr. I can't say with real authority, but I know I put on two and three and just didn't feel the same thing and didn't no, get all the, the way through two it. And three are fine. Mm-hmm. They're not amazing. This is the best of them. If you want to stop at this film, I'm not going to say you're wrong, but <laughs> two and three are definitely serviceable for kids. My mm-hmm. kids enjoyed them. So, you know, that's that's all I asked of those films, honestly. We, we saw them in theaters and it was just like, okay, all right, that kept you entertained. I didn't mind it. Mission accomplished. Right. But, uh, yeah, I, I just, it, it, it should be proof that I think Gendy Tartakovsky can turn anything into a masterpiece and i wish he had more theatrical opportunities to do so so i don't know that he hasn't because these are big hits all of them right and and that it hasn't developed into anything theatrically yet it's just astonishing but whatever cartoon networks cartoon networks kind of letting him go nuts like completely changing samurai jack and primal is something i just don't see anybody green lighting in any other era it's so cool like just a an a animated program with two seasons and no dialogue just really wow. really neat like one of the best things to watch when you're high i'm, I'm promise a, a man and his dinosaur friend but uh hotel transylvania and looper hard recommend for me um i don't know where you guys stand but i, I would yeah, imagine i would recommend both looper and hotel transylvania yeah, yeah i recommend both it's a, it's a much lighter recommend on hotel transylvania in the balance I think there should be a asterisk do you have kids? Because that can really influence you, you if I'm going right. to recommend it. I watched it yeah. with kids and that we're laughing at the same stuff. And it's just like, it's just because of the animation and how well the jokes are done. They're not, they're not hiring funny 30 year old comedians to make funny dialogue. It's just fun to look at and laugh at. It just works on that visceral, a cartoon ass cartoon, man. I love it. Love it. It's a very cartoon ass cartoon. <clears throat> that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the best way. I know yeah, I'm so bad at describing. Things. No, but it's true. Um, it's true. It does things that you can't do in not animation. Right. It's very animation centered. And I, because yeah, I, 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 I didn't get to talk about it at the time, but like a, you know, I was kind of uh, Pixar. You're really good at tugging my heartstrings, but I love what they did with Turning Red. They did things you can only do in animation and told it in a different style. And like this should be done more. Holy shit! Don't waste this medium. Ugh. Yeah, well, really, it made me think of the Patton Oswalt bit about doing punch-up yeah. on animated movies yes. that have 
like you can't do a visual gag. We just want jokes that come from off screen yes. because we can just cut those in later. We can add new dialogue and sound effects from off screen, but we cannot animate new sequences. So don't write anything yeah. like that. Yeah. And I was kind of on the lookout for stuff like that of them just, <laughs> just throwing shit in. Cause I mean, Robert Smigel's a credited co-writer. So yeah. I'm expecting a lot of goofy shit to just sort of get lobbed in from the sides. The man and who they... invented Matt Foley falling through a table. That's the only thing Bob Odenkirk didn't write for Matt Foley. Yeah. yeah instead, no, they lean on that as an animated ass animated movie. Yeah. So really yep. like, yeah, it, it may not be the best, but I'm really pissed at my, cause I usually try and see every animated movie. And I was, I'm sure there are listeners out there who are like on the same tip about both non-Disney animation and Adam Sandler stuff and I was wrong and I love being wrong on this level. Moving into 2012 television the 23rd of September to the 29th a bunch of shows that I really didn't think was gonna were gonna last that long but showed pretty astounding longevity mainly elementary debuting on on CBS because mm-hmm. there were so many Sherlock reboots happening in theaters and on yeah. screens at the same time. So, well, yeah, people were the... mad about the British Sherlock, but mm-hmm. House had just gone off the air, like, what, three months ago? Yeah. 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 The British Sherlock was my jam. Yeah. That was the one that I was like, this is awesome. First this two is seasons. great. And when I heard there was a network Sherlock, I was just like, no. And I've never watched it. That's not a slam against this. It's just my Sherlock need had already been filled. Yeah. And I yeah. didn't feel the need uh, to get more. And, and the, the well, critics weren't were that... too kind to it either. It's just it's so mm-hmm. surprising it went to seven seasons. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like now that we're back into a Sherlock drought, it's yeah. worth probably going back and watching the best episodes because it's a show oh. that I, I caught occasionally. Mm-hmm. And but every time I did, I was pleasantly surprised. All right, it's time for a JRL speed watch where you look up yeah. the ten best episodes <laughs> of all time and only watch those. And you call it good. You know, I mean, it's uh, you know, Lucy Liu is fun as Doctor Watson. They combine Irene Adler and Professor Moriarty into one character who mm-hmm. is a woman. That's ah. fun. Reese Ephens pops up occasionally as Mycroft. Yeah, they they bring in the the bench they bring in is pretty freaking deep. And yeah, Johnny Lee Miller's he's pretty good. Sick boy, and baby. Yeah, yeah. It's one that's like it's not great. It's never gonna make my top ten of anything, but it's like if you wanna watch a crime mystery show, it's fine. Um, what can we say about Last Resort debuting on ABC? Because that's the one I know the least about. So it's a fascinating concept for a TV series. A crew of a nuclear submarine is given an order to launch. They disobey that order, saying it's a time of peace. There's no reason to do this launch. And then it's discovered that there's some secret conspiracy. Uh, The government denies they ever gave the launch order. And the nuclear sub goes to a small island and declares itself an independent republic until they can figure out who in the U.S. government was trying to get them to launch a unprovoked nuclear attack. Ooh. So obviously this lasts Sorry. one season, two seasons. What are we looking at here? Half a season. Half a season. Half a season. It stars Andre Brower and Stott Speedman. Hey. All right. I, I know, but this, up for Andre Brower looking very grim about things. This was that post-lost era of like concepts that cannot sustain multiple seasons of a program unless the whole premise changes every season. So yeah, yeah. But again, if you were proposing a single season show with that premise, I think I'd be like immediately in because it'd have a finite mm-hmm. ending. Anywho, uh, on the list of shows I've been meaning to get into. I've heard nothing but great things about the Mindy Project. Uh, it debuts on Fox. I love Mindy Kaling. I believe it's another one of those shows saved by streaming, right? It went to 
eventually went to Hulu once Fox Hulu, I believe. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hooked up by Hulu for our fourth season. So this is the last network sitcom that me and my wife watched on a regular basis. Wow. Wow. Yeah. We made it through most of first season and it was good. It was enjoyable. It was not very brain taxing. We were in the middle of the baby bubble where Mm -hmm. we were very much kept busy by a two-year-old and a zero-year-old. So when you're in that stage, you want nothing that stimulates your brain. So we just tuned in. It was like, okay, we can not think very hard. And it was good for the first season, but it just didn't wow us enough to keep watching it. Yeah, especially Mm -hmm. a land of a billion options. Exactly. That's the problem. There's just... I, I don't accept C minus stuff anymore. And I, I heard beyond C minus stuff and blah, 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 it gets going this and that when this character comes in. I've heard that about the show too. But, you know, Mindy Kaling's responsible for some of yours and our most favorite episode of The Office. Mm-hmm. I think she's done really fun work out after that. And I'm just, it's difficult to, I'm going to dive into nine seasons of this sitcom. Like, I just don't know yep. when I'm going to have the time to do that. But I've always wanted to. So anybody's got something positive or whatever, how can you... Anything to say about the Mindy Project, I would love to sing its praises because I've, I've heard great things from friends of mine. On ABC, also, the uh, Neighbors debuts. The Neighbors. What the so, hell is this show? Okay, so there's a gated community. Uh-huh. It's perfectly normal. Right. Except some people move into it. They're from outside. Oh, boy. And they learn that everyone in the gated community are little green men aliens from the planet Zabron. And the Zabron <laughs> have adopted their own. Sports celebrities receive nourishment through their eyes and minds by reading books rather than eating and cry out green goo from their ears. They've been stuck on Earth for 10 years. And the Weavers, the human family, teach humanity to their alien neighbors while learning how to be a better family of their own. Okay, that makes a little bit more sense as I look at the cast and it's like, so-and-so is Jackie Joyner-Kersey, so-and-so is Mary Lou Retton, so-and-so is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Oh, okay. They just name themselves after sports stars because they're mm-hmm. aliens. Yep. That's really strange. Those two seasons. How um, have I not heard of this? Yeah, Usually I either. pick up on things that are weird, at least. And, uh, okay. I don't know that I don't know that it had like the critical love um, that a really weird show you would like uh, would get because it only goes two seasons. Making it to the second season is kind of it's... amazing for a show that sounds this bizarre. Yeah, yeah. It's got uh, it Modern Family as its lead in at this time, so that helps too. And then that helps. Oh, it's created by uh, Dan Fogelman, yes. who wrote Crazy Stupid Love and Tangled and Cars. Yes, and a billion Not other one-season sitcoms. And, and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, yeah. and then, and oh, I'm, and This Is Us. Oh, no, he did This Is Us. That right. was a, That's a big-ass show. I, I think it might be the last big network show. Um, yeah. And speaking of which, I'm confused. Vegas. What? Is, okay. Jimmy Conn? Not Jimmy Conn? Yeah. This stars Dennis Quaid. It's set in the 1960s. There's a separate show called Las Vegas, oh. which premiered about 10 years before this. Two completely different shows, Las Vegas versus Vegas. And then Vegas this 1978. A- Confusing. Vegas with a dollar sign. Yes. Yeah. yeah. This is set in the 1960s Las Vegas, and it's dealing with the sheriff, played by Dennis Quaid, deals with a Chicago mobster. Okay. I'm intrigued. I just don't know why I never I heard intrigued. anything about it. Vegas. But the show I was hyped for, despite my age... <laughs> was debuting on Nickelodeon because that is the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, their first show after a three-year drought, but also the first show 
Three years without a show. Good Lord, how could Turtles exist? I, I look, look, it, it, I, I was talking about that on Video Game Apocalypse. Sometimes I feel weird because are Ninja Turtles like my Flintstones? Are we? Am yes. I cramming this down kids' kids' throats? No, well, no. Ninja Turtles are always popular. They've always been some level of success. Have yeah. they ever been the huge, white hot success they were in the 1980s? No. Are they a mild success that keeps going? I yeah, think, I think kind of like Power Rangers. I would sort of disagree with that. And then something kind of magical happened when Viacom slash basically Nickelodeon bought the Ninja Turtles for $60 million three years ago. This is the first their first product. But what I love about it, once that happened, the merchandise on shelves and action figures wasn't just about this show. Nickelodeon has always been pretty apt to like yeah we'll show you the 87 turtles want some movie turtles figures we'll, we'll make those too there's go to walmart right now there's Raphael as frankenstein you can get 87 show ninja turtles you can get 2003 show ninja turtles they're everywhere they're they're more present than they've ever been and i as long as kids are digging the reinterpretations i'm cool but this really straddled the line this is a good show it's not I have a lot of kids shows like, wow, that's really good, but I don't get obsessed in the level of like Adventure Time or Steven Universe. But this was one of those, uh, what do you call them? Like She-Ra, Voltron, like this is exceptional for a kid show. I don't know that I'll watch every episode, but this is a great voice cast. Isn't is not dumb? Is the opposite of dumb? Is very well written, very well executed. It was received well critically. I heard kids talk about it. I heard adults talk about it. That's kind of a feat that I di didn't see with the newer Ninja Turtle show because Nickelodeon has reinvented it at least one time more. There's a Seth Rogen movie coming for another interpretation. There was the Michael Bay movies happening concurrently. Nickelodeon's spreading, <laughs> really spreading out the turtles, and I hope the kids are as into it as I was in 1987 through, like, 1992. But this show's not bad. Great voice cast. Can I say again, both Roseanne Barr and Gilbert Gottfried as Krang. Thank you. Like, thank you. What a great idea. But it's it's kind of Nickelodeon showing like, yeah, we're going to take care of this franchise and you don't have to worry. And that felt kind of good to me if I can sing the praises of a monolithic corporation who doesn't care about anything but my money. And then <laughs> moving on to the, the Emmys. The Emmys! The Emmys are out this week. Who's hosting this week? Um, Kimmel. Kimmel! Kimmel's hosting. I love Kimmel hosting these things because they always work in some prank that doesn't belong in a prestigious... <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, Modern Family wins Best Comedy Series third year in a row. Mm. Yep. Homeland wins uh, Outstanding Drama, Game Change, Miniseries or Movie, Daily Show, and The Amazing Race. Not a huge bunch of surprises, except that I think Mad Men got utterly shut out. Really? Oh, but, uh, <laughs> 17 nominations and it won nothing. Julie Louise Dreyfus. Yeah, Ju Julie Louise Dreyfus winning another Emmy for Veep. Like she won. Does she have seven or something like that? It's something Just hogging it, hogging it. But I think I think we're talking about Homeland's first season. Yeah. So that was it, yeah, it was huge. Aaron Paul winning for Jesse Pinkman, um, best supporting oh. actor in a drama series. Happy about that. Jessica Lange and for American Horror Story for a miniseries oh. or TV movie. Cool. And then moving on to the video games of 2012. A very rare instance of something I was mildly working on. Dead or Alive 5 for PS3 and Xbox 360 is out. Second to last Dead or Alive? I can't remember where we stand on Tecmo's fighting series. I don't know what they were pushing with this one, but again, look up the Dead or, Dead or Alive 3 commercials if you don't believe sexism in the game. Sexism in the games industry exists. It's hilarious. What I do remember more was Marvel vs. Capcom Origins. 
which was a clever way to retitle Marvel superheroes and what was it? Marvel, Marvel superheroes and Marvel vs. Capcom one Capcom would be releasing not only Marvel vs. Capcom two, which was a long lost game. I think we got Marvel vs. Capcom three coming out. And so kind of promote it. And they got the Marvel license back for the first time since the PlayStation MVC one and Marvel superheroes gets a release on consoles with online play. These are the roughest forms of these games competitively. And as a concept, they would evolve over time but it was great to have them and i in my house i have framed posters from the promotion of this game the infinity gauntlet poster before everybody knew what that was with capcom and marvel characters very cool and it was great to have all these characters these character sprites are some of my favorite in sprite history and this does somehow include diana there's you can fight as marvel versus capcom characters and then there is a japanese comedian who I am unfamiliar with and is a playable character in this. It's a very, it's very strange addition. I think he was brought along. Oh, it comes out on uh, uh, Xbox first and then PSN. Tokyo Jungle. Diane, I can get you into this. It's kind of like mm-hmm. if uh, it's a Pomeranian, but looks a little like Steve. If Steve was wandering the Japanese apocalypse, tr- that's what you play as a little Steve. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> Tokyo, oh. humanity's gone, just disappeared. Tokyo becomes a jungle, and all these wild animals are now living in the Tokyo jungle. You purely play as animals. You upgrade over time from uh, the little dogs to bigger dogs to, I think, can be a lion or something like that as your ultimate animal. My daughter was wanting a dog, and we, we actually played this game. And this is not the best game to play if you're contemplating getting a dog because it's all about <laughs> murdering other animals. So, yeah. But I, I know the, the internet was kind of over the moon for that uh, game Stray recently where you play as a cat after some kind of human reckoning. It's not the same, but uh, this is one of those sleeper hits that was hard to obtain. And I think now you can finally play it again after some time of inaccessibility. And also, ooh, uh, one of the bigger... World of Warcraft expansions, I can remember. World of Warcraft, Miss of Pandaria. Yes, Diana, that means pandas. Yep. Really? That's their thing. Mm-hmm. This is the panda one. It, this is Yay. where you get to play a panda. Yay. A panda. Wish I could tell you more, but, you know, wow. So you get to, like, put on armor and then fight guys and then fall over for no reason because you're a panda? <laughs> no, it, it has... The art had real Kung Fu Panda vibes and uh, was kind of controversial for a hot second until we realized, oh, it's, wow, it's going to be good. So that is almost it for 302010. We're going to tell you who died and do a little quiz you can participate in about who was born during this period. Love the birthday quiz. But first, we got to tell you, patreon.com slash laser time, extra shows, bonus shows, 302010 inspired shows, full-length movie commentaries. It helps this show and the other show out. Die, where can people find you at? They can find me on the Twitter at LeCineNerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast. It's 302010podcast next week. Huge week again. We've got uh, another animated horror-themed movie that I thought was going to suck and also turned out pretty pretty good. We've got a movie launching a franchise about acapella singing that turns out to be a huge deal. Mm Mm-hmm. We've got, hey, remember I talked about Manhunter? We've got the remake of Manhunter, and I don't want to talk about it. And the big (laughs) thing, though, is 92. We've got ducks flocking together. We've got everybody hurting. We've got got my favorite channel with my favorite unsung show that will never be on DVD, but I want badly, and it's mostly on YouTube. This is true. And we also have put that coffee down. (laughs) 
Whoa. Yeah. I was in the Puppies car business. For closers. Elf you. That, that was shown at a business meeting. Oh, God. Oh, Quit. No. Quit. No. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. And we have the most famous picture rip in all of TV history. Mm. We buried. We have. Yep. That clip is going to be in every montage for the rest of fucking time. Yeah. It might even it even That's sum up bad. the decade. Ugh. Yeah. Oh, JR, where can folks find you, N? They can find me on the Twitter at J-R-R-A-L-L-S. And once again, Jhar has really helped spearhead all those 80s and deaths episodes. Amazing time revisiting that with you, uh, Steve and Jared. Love talking about The Last Unicorn because it's just one of those animated movies that wasn't treated like an animated movie. Treated with whispers and rumors and finally gets its due. And I cannot believe our, our listeners voted on having us talk about that one. Anywho... Die who died during this period of 30, 2010, September 23rd to the 29th. Well, in 2012, that's when we lost Andy Williams, who was 84 years old, recording artist, 43 albums in his career, 15 of which were gold. Moon River, definitely his biggest hit. Also had a variety show for, yeah. ooh, I don't know, ten, nine, 10 years. Uh, a lot of TV specials, you know. The town of Branson is practically built on him and Yakov Shmirnov. And- <laughs> strangely true it is like even even brett had been there to see him andy williams and then 84 no one's older than andy williams wrong herbert lom who is 95 years old he was born in 1917 in the kingdom of bohemia austria hungary (laughs) Excuse me, because that's what it was at the time that's where prague was at the time he's mostly people remember him as inspector dreyfus from the pink panther movies he's also Mm. in spartacus and lady killers and he's like a total hey it's that guy for classic movies 90 Five. I had no idea he made it that that long. That's amazing. Also, my favorite windows. Anyway, <laughs> with those people dead and out of the way, it's time for the ba 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 birthday quiz. Oh, birthday is a doodly do, a ding dong doodly doodly ding dong do. Birthday. All right. Turning an even 50, born September 27th, 1972 in Los Angeles, to actress Blythe Danner and film producer Diana's got it. Got it. God I got it. it. I know who okay. Blythe Danner's daughter is, but keep going. Come on. Okay. You can't say her dad's last name. That'll give it away. I, I wasn't going to say his last name. I was just going to say Bruce. And Bruce. She has a younger brother, Jake, who is a director and screenwriter. Her father was Jewish. Her mother is Christian. She uh, celebrates both holidays. Um, Nowadays, she spends most of her time being CEO of Goop. Ah! Yes, I got it. This has to be the woman who sold me my vagina egg. Um, Good for you. Yeah, it really, really works, people. Smith Paltrow if you're nasty. Smith Paltrow. Yep. Yeah, I like um, with her, her mom, Blythe Danner, who... It's decently famous, but I love pointing out the movie 1776. She plays mm-hmm. Thomas Jefferson's wife, Blythe Danner does. Mm-hmm. And oh, she's wow. a couple months pregnant with Gwyneth in it. Oh, neat. So she's wow. Uncredited. So <laughs> was in uh, that film. Yeah. In 1776, yeah. yeah. Nice. All right, films of her we've talked about include Emma, Sliding Doors, Great Expectation, Shakespeare in Love, The Intern, The Royal Tenenbaums, and Infamous, Running with Scissors, Two Lovers, Iron Man, Iron Man 2, The Avengers. You know what? what's odd? Yep. It's, you know, it's easy, it's easy to groan at Gwyneth Paltrow's name sometimes these days, but like, those are all pretty great movies. <laughs> those are all pretty goddamn good. She's movies got a lot I've of enjoyed. skill. Only see her in Marvel stuff now. And if you have That's not- where the easy money is. If- hey, 
Would you like to make a few million dollars for like a weekend? Did you see that clip yeah. of her on John Favreau's cooking show where she has no idea what Marvel movie she's been in, what movie she hasn't? And <laughs> no. like, was I in Spider Man? Yeah. Like, yes, you were in Spider Man. <laughs> like, I was cool. Like, <laughs> <laughs> No idea. Adorable. Sort of. Thank you guys so much for listening. Patreon.com slash laser time. How can we not close out with some Stone Temple pilots? I think for folks our age, this was fucking everywhere, like in our lives yeah. as, as youths. I can't hear this song anymore. It, it ha- I can't think of it as good or bad. I just turned the channel. I've heard it so, 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 so much. But as yeah, but I've heard it so much, and then I didn't hear it for a long time. Yeah. So now, when I do hear something like "Plush" by Stone Temple Pilots, right. I'm like, oh yeah. When Wyland passed away, I it was like all the words to this. It was kind of cool to walk through, like, oh man, this guy kind of you know soundtrack to my high school. Interstate love song, still great, still love that one. Yep. But we'll close out with "Plush," and people, we will see you next week. Where you going?